0: Welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 105th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, and episode 82, also featuring fellow regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And if you haven't started reading Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, Inside the Trump White House, consider this your official warning to start now. This episode is the fourth in a series in which Jonathan and I will break down the entire book. And now, on to the show. Hello? Hey, Jeff.
1: Hey, Bob. What's up?
0: Oh, nothing much. How are you feeling today?
1: Oh, uh, Still got a little bit of a cold, but doing quite a bit better, I think.
0: Yeah, same here. I think I'm getting to the other side of it, so I've still got some sludge that I'm trying to deal with, but yeah, it's not nearly as bad as it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh yeah, what's going on back there?
0: Oh, nothing much. Uh, I think we seem to have completely skipped spring and we're straight on to summer now, so. (laughs) It was winter for uh, seven months and then uh, we had exactly like three days of spring and now I think we've just moved into the uh, sweltering summer heat, so. But, you know, climate change isn't real, so.
1: (laughs) That's good news. (laughs) Yeah, what a relief. Yeah. Yeah, we're dealing with like waves of pollution that are either domestically produced or partially wafting over from china or something yeah
0: what did you call it last time the yellow dust yellow dust yeah They
1: call it Pongsa in korean which means yellow dust or they also talk about the micro dust too which is like i don't know if they're the same thing or slightly different but hmm. partially i think it's sand coming over from the Gobi desert mixed with industrial pollution from china mixed with uh, domestic pollution that a lot of Koreans don't seem to want to admit to having Mm. produced. (laughs) But I don't know. Yeah, I've got an app on my phone now that shows me how bad the uh, micro dust levels are on a given day or at a Mm. given time. Kind of like a weather report. Hmm. And I've... Yeah. In the couple days leading up to me getting sick, uh, it was a mess. It was like a disaster area out there. Jeez. But yeah... I don't know, yeah, I just uh, finished watching the latest episode of Fear the Walking Dead a little bit ago. How's that going? Have you watched The Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead at all?
0: I've watched a little bit of Fear of the Walking Dead. I've totally lost track of uh, The Walking Dead. I, I think once they, I don't know, spoiler alert, I guess, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, once they called, killed uh, Glenn off for good, I was I was done. I can't watch that show. It was like Holocaust levels of like depressing after that,
1: so. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I think they should have killed Maggie. I think she's a garbage actress. Yeah. But, I don't know. She can't do a southern accent. Like, I, you know, I know we're all supposed to <laughs> pretend that the British can, you know, do anything and you know I mean like you know, Stringer Bell, that guy, I mean he could do a good job. Oh, you it, Elba. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever finish watching the wire?
0: Not yet, to your great disappointment. God damn it,
1: I'm telling you, it was like that time, like, one time old Jacob Eubanks told me, uh, hey, child, you know, there's a good game, uh, this game, uh, uh, Mass Effect, it's pretty good, you should check it out, I think you would like it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, thanks, maybe I will. And I didn't really like it. I mean, you know, people tell you this game's cool, you should check it out, and, you know, you may or may not do it. But, like, once I, once I played it, I was like, oh, my God, dude, you, you should have, like, really emphasized how awesome that was. Because it was, like, one of the best games ever. <laughs> but it was just kind of like, I felt like his praise was a little bit too tepid, uh-huh. and I feel like I'm in the same place right now, where I'm telling you, The Wire is like a fucking amazing show. And he's like, oh yeah, maybe I'll get around to it before I retire. <laughs>
0: I gotta I got have something to look forward to in my life, right? I mean,
1: Bob. <laughs> uh, people get hit by buses every day. A lot of, you know.
0: What are you saying? If I if I watch the wire, I won't get hit by the bus.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying uh, some uh, some questions go unanswered as DMX once to. That's what he's afraid of.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know I'm rewatching The Sopranos. So.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you can't, you can't make me laugh right
1: now. Oh, God. Um, well, anyways, yeah, I've been watching Fear the Walking Dead, and so we probably ought to say, spoiler alert here, too, for the latest episode, Season 4, Episode 3. Well, okay, so they... I don't know, man. It's They're really pissing me off. I mean...
0: I feel like they've been doing this to you for quite a while, though. I I feel like this is almost like a uh, sadistic thing where you know you're going to get hurt, but you do it anyway.
1: (laughs) Not hurt. Just bored, annoyed, frustrated with bad acting and writing, um, pissed off by stupid decisions, and, like, I don't know. (laughs) So they finally like finally killed off Nick, the drug the drug addict character or whatever this episode. Okay, but okay, so like, what? Okay, when I was okay, so I just want to break down what has happened so far this season. The last season ended when Nick blew up the dam after like his family was about to be killed and he was about to be killed by these guys who had taken over the dam. Mm-hmm. And he, his like his mom, like he ran away. His sister, I think he and his sister ran away to like. His sister went off on her own. She was going to go live by herself, and she ran into some other chick who was going to live with her or something. They were going to do their own thing out in the wilderness. And Nick was going to, like, I don't know what where he was going. He was going to go do something else, go look for his sister or something. And the mom got washed down the river and got, like, picked up by some random civilians on the side of the river or something and looked like she was going to join a new community. And, you know, they got cast to the four winds. mm mm-hmm. Okay, but it's a, in the first episode of season four, we it's all about uh, what's his name? The uh, you know the guy, the guy who saved uh, at the in the very beginning of season one, the mm-hmm. black guy who saves Rick. Mm-hmm. Sure. When he gets out of the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's his name? The guy with the staff. I can't I, think yeah, of his name the right The guy now. with the
0: kid and the staff,
1: and yeah, yeah. Well, the kid's been gone for a few seasons. Oh okay. yeah. Well. <laughs> Oh God, I, I know his name. I just, I'm terrible with names. But, mm-hmm. but so anyways, like, so it was all about him because he left Rick and those guys at the end of the last season of that a few weeks ago. And now he's walked, you know, halfway across the damn country. And he's over in Texas and he bumps into some stranger who we haven't been introduced to before. And he takes up with them and stuff. And so like for the first like 35 minutes or so of the episode, it's all about him. Mm -hmm. and then like he and his new friends get attacked by Nick and his sister, Alicia or whatever, Felicia, Alicia. I don't know. Anyways, the two kids or whatever Mm -hmm. on this other show and they get taken hostage by them and stuff for no reason. And so I'm like, okay, okay. So we're okay. They're bringing the stories together. I I don't know why this is necessary. And it, it seems like they're trying to lend some star power from the first show over to the second show for some reason. And then the second episode, which I watched earlier tonight also, like they just, they, they pick up and the mom, Kim Dickens and Nick and Alicia or whatever, and strand and, uh, Like, uh, this other woman, I forget her name too, Nick's girlfriend, they're all just living in a baseball stadium with people and the people make an announcement, oh, we've been here for a whole year now, 365 days, and we're doing pretty good, we got 48 people, I'm like, what the hell happened to everything that was going on last season, you know, I mean, like... I I had to like like I literally had to consult Wikipedia and make sure I hadn't missed like a half season or something where they did like a second half to last season that I didn't know about or something, and, and I didn't I didn't miss anything because I'm like, this is not where we were. I mean like I know everybody wants to play with the continuity these days and stuff, but come on, you're like. I'm a reasonably attentive fan of shows and stuff I pay attention to. I'm like, wait, the, the daughter was going off to live by herself. Mom didn't like it. Mom was somewhere else. Everybody was split up. Now they've been living together for a year at a baseball stadium, and there's no explanation. And Morgan Jones is the guy's like, name. Yeah, Morgan, yeah. we anyway, go um, ahead. So anyways, then this episode, like, we're back to the future where they're not living at at the, the stadium anymore. And they've just, like, kidnapped these people, and they're driving around in their SWAT van with them. But they won't say anything. Again, the biggest problem in the zombie apocalypse in both of these shows is that people do not share pertinent information with each other when they should <laughs> you know they they don't talk to people they should talk to it's like if they if they shared bits and pieces of information with each other 95 percent of the the show would not work because i mean i know what you're gonna say uh, I, know, I know you're gonna say like well that's why they do it they want to make more drama it's like yeah but you can have plenty of naturally occurring drama in the show and not have the you know not have all the actors be like a bunch of moody teenagers who, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to talk about what happened to my family. I don't want to talk about it. You know, like, just everybody has that tone. It's like, come on. Mm-hmm. And, and so through a series of stupid, stupid mishaps, like, they won't listen to these guys, even though these guys... When they kidnapped these guys and took their truck, these guys were actually trying to help them. Mm -hmm. And then they, like, tied them up in the back, and they're like, "Uh, we're going to look for something or something. And they're like, and this one woman's like, well, I've been zip tied a hundred times. And then she busts out and puts a knife to the guy's neck, and, like, they they come in, they, they retake control of the van. And then, like, these idiots just start, like, you know, like, they start fighting and stuff, and somehow they wreck the van, and they get knocked out, and they get zip-tied, and then then they're, like, um, and the other people, the people whose van they stole, like, including Morgan, kill all the zombies where they crashed the van at. They can't move the van because it's down the hill. And it's, like, you stupid fucking idiots. If you people had all just stopped and talked for five minutes... About what the hell's going on, you wouldn't have had to try to steal the van. You wouldn't have wrecked the van. You wouldn't be tied up. <laughs> You'd probably be helping each other. Uh, but I, I know they're gonna say, well, uh, you know, in the zombie apocalypse, they've learned through hard experience that you can't trust anybody. <laughs> and so you know <laughs> you know I, I know, I know, <laughs> but but you know, this is where they are. They're tied up. they're ziplocked on the ground now. <laughs> There's a, a pile of dead zombies nearby, and these guys are like, all right, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we saw a tow truck just back up the road a little ways. If you untie us, we could take you to it and we could come in back and get your truck. And they're like, Oh, okay, sure. We'll untie you. And so they untie them, but they like, they leave Nick tied to the van. They're like, we're going to leave him here and we're going to leave Morgan with him to watch him. So he doesn't do anything. So you guys have to come back. And they're like, okay. Hmm. And as soon as the, like everybody else leaves, Morgan unties, Nick who then, uh, you know, goes in the, and he's like, I'm hungry. Can I go in my pack and get something? And he's like, yeah, that's fun. And like, he grabs a knife and he like tries to bring it up against Morgan. Morgan knocks it out of his hand with his stick. And then he like tries to run away and Morgan knocks him down. It's like, Entirely predictable. It's like, Morgan, why did you untie this clown? If you had done what the other people had said, instead of just on a whim, just feeling, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to untie you. You know, obviously you're a shifty motherfucker who hasn't said a word to us about what you're doing. But, yeah, I'll untie you. And then, okay, so then what happens? Then he sees this blue El Camino drive by up top, and, like, um... He fights Morgan because he wants to go after the El Camino because like that was like some character in the previous episode who was bad, but we still don't know why he was bad. It seems like he might've killed his mother, but we're not sure. And so he fights Morgan again in the van. I'm like, Morgan, (laughs) if you hadn't untied this guy, you wouldn't be fighting him in the van. And then he falls back on the uh, horn and the horn gets stuck on. So all the zombies start coming and they have to leave the van. I'm like, Oh, oh! <laughs> the stupidity, sheer <laughs> sure, sure stupidity. So he he grabs a like Nick takes takes off with his hammer and he's going to go chase down the El Camino. Like he's gonna he's on foot. He's going to follow a car somewhere when he's still waiting for his girlfriend and sister to come back. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know. Uh, Morgan follows him and Morgan tells him, Oh, you know, you don't got to kill anybody. I don't kill people anymore. It's very bad. And he's like, no, I'm going to kill the guy in the El Camino. He's like, why? And he's like, "Uh, you don't got to know that right now. I'm just going to do it. And so they go to the next town and sure enough, they find the guy and the guy doesn't seem very worried, even though Nick is there and Nick obviously wants to kill him. And then Nick like sneaks up on him after he already knows he's there and like, kills him. (laughs) And then, and there's still no explanation. And then like, he's sitting around and he starts reading like, uh, the art of peace or something, which is like an Aikido book or whatever that Morgan gave him to teach him about how not to kill people anymore. And then the, this little girl who had been working with the other guy came and shot him and he died. <laughs> and then, you know, his sister and everybody find them and come back and go, like, Oh my God, what happened? It's like, Well, Morgan's an idiot. You're all idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, If you, if you people hadn't fought each other in the van, wrecked the van, if you hadn't, uh, trusted each other and untied each other, if you, you would have let these idiots who were not, you know, communicating stay tied up, if you people would have told them where the tow truck was, uh, if you had not fought and, uh, smashed the horn, if you had not gone running off after the El Camino, or if you waited till everybody else came back to go after the el camino and uh done it together so that you could like have full adv- it's just like the i i mean like i've i've been reading the comments online and stuff sorry this could be edited down for time or whatever but <laughs> no, keep it's just going. like it was a nonstop episode of stupid, stupid, stupid decision after stupid mm-hmm. decision. And then the character dies, which I don't really care about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's just like, you know, they're, they're trying to emotionally manipulate you. They think we care about this guy Nick by now or something. We really... I don't. I mean, like... He's like a... He's, got a, he's a two-trick pony, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's he, you know. <sighs> but But I'm just sick of, like, these shows where... You know, plot Plot moves forward based on everyone's Stupidity Mm -hmm. of people, you know Not communicating with each other and doing Things that no reasonable person would do In the apocalypse Right, right
0: well it kind of reminds me of uh it's like ash and i were talking about once uh, back in the victorian era That one of the main like in fiction one of the main plot devices was the entire plot was based on a misunderstanding and if that misunderstanding had been cleared up at the beginning of the story there wouldn't be a story and it just takes the entirety of the story to clear up the misunderstanding and that but that was like one of the main tropes of the time or whatever and it's like people have kind of gotten sick of that so we don't really do that so much anymore but it sounds like they're almost trying that again it's like this like the Little things that could be communicated that would just take you wouldn't have any of the plot that you just had if, if they just communicated a little more clearly with each other. So,
1: yeah, and I think I was I was reading online. I, I guess I heard that the the actor who plays Nick or whatever he wanted to leave the show. Mm-hmm. So they were going to try to write him out of the show. But it's like, dude, why do you want to leave this show? I mean, I know it's a garbage show, but let's keep it real. You were nobody before this show. This show made you, they call him like junkie Johnny Depp now or junkie Depp or whatever, because he looks like a young Johnny Depp on drugs or something. But like, you know, so he's got, he's got whatever, whatever fame he's got is because of the show. But now on season four, he wants to be written out. Hmm. And so, <clears throat> you know, if they if they had a different plan for what they were going to do with the story, but then because he was demanding to leave, they had to like kill him in the first half of the season, the next season or whatever. And they had to jettison all their old plans. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know it's it's just bad television.
0: Yeah. Now, it's kind of disappointing yeah. that Fear the Walking Dead's not very good too cuz like wasn't this created as kind of a side outlet for this universe like exploring different stories within the same universe but you're not trapped by the confines of the original storyline of Walking Dead? I mean,
1: Yeah, I think so. Mhm. Was
0: I, yeah, I, was this a I, uh, comic book or a graphic novel before? The Walking Fear the mm-hmm. Walking Dead?
1: No, but it's a spin off based on the creation of the original Walking Dead gotcha. novels. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's got the blessing of the creator of the novels and stuff. I mean he's hmm. he'll bless anything. He's you know, games, video games, uh I don't know shirts, posters, TV shows, card games, probably, God, who knows? I mean, he, he's, he's cashing in big time. I'm sure he's a billionaire by now, but Kirkman, I think Robert Kirkman, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was, I, you know, I was really excited at the beginning of the show because I was like, okay, maybe, maybe they recognize that they've got shitty writers and shitty actors on the main series. And they real I mean, they've had good actors, but the writing's so bad that it just doesn't come through. Yeah, like may, you know, maybe a new universe in the same universe gives them a chance with a different creative team to you know to create a better show. But they didn't do that; they copied all the bullshit from the original. Show. <laughs> so well,
0: yeah, well, what's even happening with the original show now? It's it's what season is it on?
1: Season eight, I think. Okay. Saying.
0: Yeah, like where, uh, uh, where, where, what are these? What, where, what's happening? Well, I've totally lost track of that show at this point. Uh, spoiler alert: Carl dies. Nah, uh, well, that was inevitable. Which,
1: yeah, which came, about, you know, I'm, I'm so happy though because I hated him. He was a terrible actor. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> And then I mean I don't know. I just like it's I, it was overdue, I thought, and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's. I mean, they've they've captured the governor. They think they're going to make a better, or not the governor. The uh, what's his name? Negan. They've captured Negan, and they're going to like build a better society and make him watch as his punishment instead so of killing him like they should. Hmm. I don't know. It's it's just more stupid, stupid decisions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is there anything to be no. done to save these plot lines? or You think they just have to start over, like?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, the scenario is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the post-apocalyptic. You know, really spending some time in that universe is fun in a way. Mm -hmm. But it's just like you have to put up with so much. I, I just think they they need to fire all their writers. (laughs) <laughs> and they need to figure out, like, what does Game of Thrones do? What did The Sopranos do? What did The Wire do? Mm-hmm. What did Breaking Bad do? What did, uh, you know, what did Better Call Saul do mm-hmm. where these other shows have characters who are interesting even if nothing is really going on? And our show, we, you know, we have to have a certain number of zombie kills, a certain number of human kills, a certain number of stupid decisions, a certain number of people seeming like they're going to talk about their feelings and then not really talking about their feelings or, you know, whining like little emo kids or something. It's like we got to have a certain quotient of all those things every episode. And that's our show. (laughs) No, it's like we can't exist as a good show. I don't know. It's it's just uh, I can't believe it. Yeah.
0: Do you think part of the problem is we live in a universe now where the writers are listening to what people say online and they're reacting to fan whatever? I mean, I remember when Lost was on and that was the thing that started cropping up where, you know, people would make uh, you know loud noises in the fan community and the the writers it would make it to the writers' room and you know that would make some fundamental change in the show based on you know the reaction online. Do you think that's happening at all?
1: Well, not fast enough. Uh, you know, because all the way back around, like, seasons two and three or whatever, everybody was bitching about that character, Andrea. Oh, yeah. She was a terrible character, yeah, terrible actress, mm-hmm. bad writing, mm-hmm. annoying as hell. mm mm-hmm. But they still took, like, two or three or four seasons to kill her. They finally killed her, and everyone was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. But, you know, people had been wanting her character dead for a couple of seasons before they finally did it. So mm-hmm. You know, killing her and also, I think, to some degree, killing Carl, kind of fan service but it's like they drag it out so long and then they, they do sure. so much hand wringing about it afterwards it's just like mm-hmm. I, in a way I think they're not responsive enough hmm. and in another way I think you know what fans are they listening to because if you listen to the fanboys like you know that's the one thing like reading about you know like everybody thinks like what's that guy's name uh, the crossbow guy Dixon mhm yeah, I know you're know talking, what talking about. about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks he's like this amazing actor, great guy. Wow, how does he do it? He's so badass. It's like he's a one note character. He is shitty with people and he kills zombies and people uh with a crossbow <laughs> mm-hmm. or other things sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like it's and same thing with Michonne. Like she kills people with a with a uh you know, her katana. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. Um she's seems she's in a relationship with Rick, although they have have zero chemistry together yeah that was
0: another thing that i just turned off from i'm like what these people don't need to be together like i understand your options are limited and you know it's the desert island thing where people start looking better to you when you're (laughs) trapped with them but like this doesn't yeah you're right no chemistry between them whatsoever
1: yeah yeah because the show the writers can't create chemistry Mm -hmm. they don't have a romantic build-up it's like you know the closest to romance these characters have ever had is like after after a really intense fight scene, like, wow, I like the style that you killed those zombies with. <laughs> yeah, I like the style you killed those zombies with, too. Want to talk about your dead kids? No. <laughs> you think Carl's going to survive? I think so. God, I hope so. Carl? Oh, God, we're, we're all alone. It's just us. I mean, like, that's... I mean, that's... that's and then suddenly they've been together for several seasons, although, you know, yeah. we don't see them... We don't. They don't feel like they love each other. You know. Yeah. Right. I mean, as much as people say, "Oh, they're good actors," it's like, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean. Bob, you go go back and watch The Wire, and when uh, when Kima Briggs gets shot, and her lesbian lover finds out about this after she's been wanting her to get out of the police for a little while to go to law school or something. I mean, it's emotionally affecting. You care. Like these characters mean something to you. You understand their home dynamic. They they yeah, and you know, I, I don't know. It's it's just you know. When when the boy Wallace gets killed, mm-hmm. and, like, the guy's in jail, and they're like, you're not going to talk about the family while you're in jail, son, are you? And he's like, where's Wallace? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Where's Wallace? And he's like, look, I can see if you're going to take this attitude, we're just not going to help you while you're in jail. And he's like, where's Wallace? <laughs> I mean, that the, trust me, Bob, watch The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost scared to watch The Wire now. <laughs> No, it's... (coughs) Oh, God, it's so good.
0: But, but, uh, da- but, well, yeah. I mean, going back to Daryl, Daryl, who we were talking about earlier with the crossbow. Yeah, Daryl Dixon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's another place where I do think they're listening too much to the fans because I feel like I never have to be spoiled too much because I know they're never, ever going to kill that character off. Because I think there's a certain uh, core group of fans that would just totally abandon the show if they got rid of him. Because wasn't he in the, con- the graphic novels or whatever? Wasn't he a kind of a throwaway character and they brought him up more because he was more of a fan favorite. Favorite.
1: Actually, I, from what I can remember, I don't think he and his brother were even characters in the comic. Really? Uh, Glenn was a character, and I think hmm. Glenn did eventually die. But, uh-huh. um, but like, I mean, Glenn, insofar as any of these characters was somewhat interesting, I thought Glenn was okay. Although I thought he became a lot less interesting after he got together with Maggie Green for, and they, they got married and stuff. And then, you know, he starts trying to be a family man and stuff. And, like, I, I think he, he lost a lot of his kind of... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's Maggie, I think drags everybody around her down in the acting department. I don't know. But, I don't know. It's yeah. I don't know. What, what can we say? It's bad television. It's guilty pleasure. It's, it's hate watchable. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, Hey, uh, happy, happy Cinco de Mayo.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Oh wait,
0: did, is, it, is that already over you. for you? <laughs> or wait, does that not happen? Or yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be May. I'm just, I'm just running through all the goddamn memes I've been seeing all over Facebook the past week. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's gonna Gonna be May the Insign meme. Mm-hmm. May the Fourth be with you. The oh, Star yeah. Wars meme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cinco de Mayo. Yep. Uh, Mexican beer theme, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know what is it about May. Mm.
0: I don't know. No shortage of uh, catchy uh, holidays, I guess. So.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, I'm um, trying to think what else. Oh, another thing that pisses me yeah. off is. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> While we're on the topic of like must-watch TV, do you, do you ever watch like? And I, I don't watch them, but I just I started watching one for about thirty seconds earlier today, just thinking it was a, a TV show review. I was trying to get a feel like after I watch an episode or whatever. I like to watch a uh, some people's hot takes on it or whatever online. And I start watching this thing and I'm playing a game too, and I'm listening to this thing. It turns out it's one of those damn reaction videos. Oh no! I hate reaction videos. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about?
0: I know the genre of it. I never watch them because they're totally pointless, and some of them are like longer than the actual thing they're like reacting to, and it's like I could just watch this for myself and figure out how I want to react to it, but okay. They they get a lot of views, though. I'll give them that. Like, there is a market for it. They're, apparently people want to watch other people reacting to things that they could react to themselves, but...
1: <laughs> I, 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 I hate it. <laughs> I hate it the way I hate improv comedy. Uh, the way I hate, well, uh, freestyle hip-hop mm-hmm. most of the time. <laughs> I, I just hate it. It's so self-indulgent. It's so, like, narcissistic, right? It's like, um, and I and I don't like the people who watch it either, I, I think. I mean, I'm sure some <laughs> of them are nice people or whatever. But, like, why would I want to, like, vicariously you know, experience like, you know, oh, oh my God, oh my God, are they going to kill Carl? Oh, I'm covering my mouth now, they killed Carl, oh, I can't believe it. So oh, wait, is God,
0: this where good. they, like, can you watch this along with them, is that what it is? Like, are they, like, watching this and you're supposed to sync this up with
1: while you're watching it? Is that the no, idea? No, no some, the more high tech amongst them have a uh, split screen where they have the scene that they're uh, reacting to on okay. the show. And then they have it like matched up with their their um, their mugging for the camera, shameless shamelessness. And so yeah, so you, uh, like, it, I mean, and and some of them you can tell like they're not genuinely reacting, like they've already watched the episode, and so they're like making predictions. Oh, I bet he's going to be dead, isn't he? And they're like, you know, I see where this is going, you know, they're like, they do all this foreboding, foreshadowing bullshit and stuff, because they, they've already watched the episode, and so now they're going to re now they know where they, you know, okay, this is my cue, this is where I, oh god, I gotta tear up, okay, oh god, oh, this is, oh, it's so funny, I laughed at the jokes, I have a good sense of humor, I'm a well-adjusted individual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like, it's so performative. Right.
0: Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the appeal of that either making it or watching it honestly but hey isn't that kind of what yeah. we're doing though I guess we're not doing it in real time while we watch it but
1: <laughs> yeah well I, yeah I guess I, there is perhaps some irony in uh, criticizing narcissism and others when we're recording a podcast
0: you mean on the Rob Burgess different. show <laughs> nah, we, we would never never no no we're all we're all about the fans here
1: <laughs> yeah we care about society mm. and politics and the city
0: yeah, this is not a vanity project. We're doing this for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. We suffer for our, our I know, family. right? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, but I I enjoy podcasts. Like, I enjoy listening to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had more. If I had more space on my phone, I would be listening to, like, twice as many as I actually do. Right. But as it is, like, I, I can't even, like, keep the uh, steady updates on because it mm-hmm. overloads my phone and stuff. Oh, yeah. So, Same it's a disaster here. project. hmm so, no, I, I think, like, there's a value in listening to people, you know, talk about, you know, politics or pop culture or, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. history or whatever whatever your preferred genre of... uh you know, sex advice podcasts mm-hmm. or what have you, relationship advice—it's sure. all interesting. Mm-hmm. But like, just watching somebody like react to a show that you like too, and mm-hmm. just like getting some vicarious—I don't know. In Korea, they have something called mukbangs or whatever, which is like a eating room or whatever. It's but it's like a thing where they have somebody basically vlogging, eating a lot of food, hmm. and they like they talk to the audience while they're eating it and stuff, and people give them money or whatever. Wait, people give
0: them money for doing this?
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah. People can like donate to them while they're live streaming or whatever. Huh. Um, but it's like you know I've read so many think pieces in the Korean English language media about how it's all about oh, Korean people are so used to the communal eating that they can't stand it. In the modern world, they have to eat alone sometimes, so they like to watch other people eat. It feels good to them, and I'm like, oh, it's so melodramatic, so self-indulgent. <laughs> so, Again, just like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, this kind of... Obviously, there's something, I don't know what the through line is, but there's something about the performativeness of it that bothers me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I watched this movie, what about, what happened to Monday a few days ago? Have you, hmm. have you heard of this? Is no, this, I haven't know? heard of it. Oh, it's interesting. It's kind of like a sci- sci-fi dystopian thing where, like, the government makes it so that you can only have one child due to overpopulation in the earth, but this this one guy, his daughter dies in childbirth, giving birth to seven daughters and stuff, and he decides to raise them all and stuff and hide them from the government. Hmm. So they all, like, take on different names of the week, and they all, like, each day, each girl gets to go out on her day of the week, and, like, they all put on a uh, disguise to look like the same woman, and they all, like, tell each other at the end of the day exactly what they did that day so the next girl can go out the next day and react normally to, like, her coworkers and stuff. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, something goes wrong, and... You know, the government gets involved, and it's a whole thing. It it was interesting. It was like a you know pretty high concept, I would say. So, and what was it called again? What happened to Monday? What happened to Monday? Huh? Because like Monday is obviously like one of the one of the women's names or whatever. No, it's also interesting because they've got one actress playing seven people on screen at the same time. It's kind of like that adaptation movie with uh, Nick Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. You know, back around two thousand four or whatever. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, that was kind of
0: fun. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last good thing we saw. Oh, we saw The Mummy with Tom Cruise.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah I watched that on the way back from America on the plane yeah it was garbage it was
0: horrible wasn't it <laughs> like that was so <laughs> bad and that was supposed to be was, the the, uh, the really bad thing was that was supposed to be the first in the quote unquote dark universe uh, series <laughs> uh, which I read up on after the movie and apparently the two executives that greenlit the movie were fired after the movie came out <laughs> um, because yeah, yeah. the next movie because they were is it's like all the universal like old timey monster you know Boris Karloff type monsters that they were trying to bring back is like a to compete with Marvel universe or something, uh, and the next one was supposed to be the Bride of Frankenstein, and, and that may never see the light of day now.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, my universe got a little bit darker when I watched that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> and not in the way the filmmakers expected I imagine. not at
0: all yeah I Ash was really disturbed by uh, the puffiness of Tom Cruise's face it looks like he's gone through some I don't Botox major surgery or something he's, he's lost his comic expressiveness <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well, uh, yeah the, the Scientologists don't seem to laugh in a normal way very often yeah no not you at all i saw him jumping on Oprah's couch that's right, right at one time.
3: so this is interesting Tom we've never seen you behave this way before I know Have you ever felt this way (laughs) before? You're gone. You are gone. (laughs) This is the thing.
4: I'm gone. Are you I don't sleeping?
3: Care. Are you getting enough sleep? No, I'm not. No,
4: no, no. no we I got here last night. We had what what is that place there with the popcorn? Garrett's and the popcorn. popcorn? Oh, you went gosh. to Garrett's popcorn. We had the cheese and the caramel popcorn. The cheese and the caramel. Then I had to have the Giordano's pizza. Oh my god! And then we had to finish it off with fudge pot. You know, oh, at about one god. in you the were morning, there? two in the morning. No, we had they they, oh, they sent it over. over. We okay. didn't. <laughs> we're in the hotel. You okay. know
3: Yeah, you're Tom Cruise, You can get a little fudge pot sent over. And so, but Tom, have you? You've never. You've never. Listen to me. Let's focus here. Okay. I'm okay. You, you've never. You've never had this kind of feeling before, right? No. Obviously not.
4: I, I. I honestly, I haven't. And
3: I'm really. I'm not
4: gonna. I'm not gonna pretend.
3: <laughs> I can see you're not. Do so, you know Katie once told Seventeen magazine? Yes. gone the boy is gone he's gone i am okay uh, katie once told 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 17 magazine that her dream was to marry tom cruise (laughs) so you know i i've been in the dream making business this year are you in the dream making business
4: i don't want to disappoint her yeah
1: um but no yeah i was like i was on the you know. I was on the plane, practically like screaming in my seat. Boom! Come <laughs> back, Brendan Fraser.
4: <laughs> well, that
1: was
0: the thing. Brendan Fraser had the right mix of like goofiness and you know fun. It was like it was you know it was a guy. It was a good you know good time. Those original mummy movies, you know, even the ones with the Rock.
1: So yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I re- recently rewatched. Remember when I saw that Brendan Fraser said he was like he somebody like some. The exec in Hollywood like, made a pass at him, like a guy or something, and he didn't want to take him up on it, and then he got blacklisted after that or something. Oh, I,
0: I missed that. Huh.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it was in the news like four to six months ago, I guess. Hmm. Part of the Me Too thing. Really? Which is, you know, obviously another shame, very bad thing, because I've always thought Brendan Fraser is an outstanding actor, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, uh, I mean, did you ever see like The Quiet American? Uh, no, I know what you're talking about, but I have not seen that one. It's Quite good, based on a great, great book. But and I've read the book probably like three times. It's amazing. Hmm. Um, but the movie is also very good. He acts his butt off in that movie. And then I recently rewatched uh, *Bedazzled*. Also, do you oh. remember that at all? Oh, I remember that. Of course, I remember that movie. That was a great movie. That was such a that was that was comedy gold with mm-hmm. a message. Yeah. Right. Don't sell your soul to the devil. (laughs) Like that kind of thing. Like, like you have that, like you have these, like, like, what was it? Five great scenarios or six. uh, I forget how many wishes he got. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, um, like that. Hola Juan. Hola Esteban. ¿Dónde está la biblioteca? (laughs) like I'm speaking Spanish. (laughs) I'm a Colombian dreadful. (laughs) <laughs> um, soy so you narco colombiano yeah i think it's like that was hey you
0: got to give 110% amazing. and there's you know there's no int
1: yeah. <laughs> you just go out there and you do the best and you hope you do the best and you want to do your best and you think you did your best i think we did pretty good <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is such a quotable movie too. It's oh such, yeah, oh God, that was yeah. It was um, that was that was a uh, like rewatching that movie made me feel good. Mm-hmm. Like that was just a good movie, and uh, you know that guy. I mean. He can act suave, he can act nervous, he can act uncomfortable, he can act confident, he can act goofy, he can act intelligent, he can act stupid. He, I mean, like, the guy is, like, extremely versatile as an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like Nick Cage, I guess. Well, Nick Cage is, you know, he's been in some good stuff and he's been in some bad stuff. I recommend going back and rewatching Con Air 2, which I rewatched a couple years ago, and it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that one really holds up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean the mullet the horrible accent mm-hmm. I mean you know I complained about Maggie Green not having a good uh, Southern American accent and Nick Cage has a terrible Southern American accent but he fully commits and it's it's beautiful <laughs>
0: <laughs> even has Dave Chappelle in it briefly
1: yeah yeah had a lot that, that was like a that was a the cast of that movie was amazing mm-hmm. Put down the bunny. Like, Why didn't you put down the bunny? <laughs> and after he killed a cop. <laughs> yeah. <for him. laughs> so anyways, yeah, yeah. Pop culture. Oh, um, I'm trying to think what else is going on with pop culture right now as far as Things that are out there, things that I've seen. Uh, I want to watch it. Oh yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I live by myself
0: here. Pretty scary, man. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like they ratcheted up the scare even more than they had to. It was, yeah, they definitely made it. I mean, I remember the old. uh, Do you ever watch the TV one with Tim Curry?
1: I feel like maybe I watched it one time, maybe over at the Eubanks or something Mm -hmm. like that. I I don't know. I feel like I probably watched that at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's different when you're watching with people. But, like, um, living by myself over here, I don't think I want to just, you know, sit down one night and watch it hmm And then try to sleep after that, you know? Yeah. I had Maybe some one of these pretty days, messed like, up dreams for day. a few
0: nights after I watched that. Yeah. They definitely like not to give too much away, but the uh, the the you know, the it, you know, the clown whatever, they definitely take it beyond just the creepy clown. They definitely make it into like, yeah, movements are are freaky and they make it into like I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, it's pretty pretty scary, so yeah. And I believe it was only yeah, the first yeah. half of the book too. I don't even think that I didn't read I've never read the book, but I think yeah.
1: I think they're I think they're making a sequel. I was up at the bookstore in Seoul and I was looking to get this book actually because I I think it would be perhaps more manageable as a book rather than a movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Clowns are just scary to look at. And stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, the book was like a thousand pages. I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. And I'm sure it's a good book. And I'm, i it has good reviews. But yeah, you know, I, I got to be honest about myself and what I can commit to. Yeah. too. So
0: I feel like this was during Stephen King's cocaine period. So I feel like he was like, ah. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Yeah, yeah he's, he's a he's an interesting writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Although I wish you would focus more on realistic stuff rather than the you know stuff that can't you know is like vaguely magical or something. Sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets a little. I think too like far a, off even that, yeah. Yeah, like he either makes like kind of like these you know magical scary movies or something with you know mythological monsters in them or he makes like these kind of like vaguely historical like that one about the assassination of John F Kennedy or mm-hmm. like you know the, the road to perdition or something or I don't think that was he makes him. These kind of Huh? I don't think he did oh, was Road was to it? Perdition. Oh, well, okay, the Green Mile? Yes, the Green uh, Mile. Is that him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Green Mile yeah, was I him. mean, he... Old Wait, Shawshank what, what Redemption. The <laughs> that's the one, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Road to Perdition, that's not the one I was thinking, yeah.
0: I think Road to Perdition was actually a graphic novel first.
1: I think I remember something about that, yeah. Something about that. But, yeah... But he, he can be quite a good writer sometimes. I wanna read the Jurassic Park, the original Michael Crichton. I wanna read that. I tried to push that one into my book club mm-hmm. a few months ago but <laughs> ended up down. going a different way, but <laughs> we may we may come back to it at some point.
0: Yeah, I read that in the I think it was in junior high when I read that. Whenever the I think when it was whenever the movie came out, I read it, but yeah, that was good. I read the
1: sequel to Lost World. Shall we did you want to try to do a Fire and Fury chapter here tonight? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I think we could almost if we if we tied this one up somehow we could almost make two separate episodes out of this almost. I don't know. How long have we been talking about the pop culture?
0: No, about forty minutes. But no, I'll just I'll keep it as one. That's fine. So I'm I'm back okay. on schedule now, so I don't need to necessarily catch up like that, but
1: I'll I'll just keep it as yeah. one. So my concern is that the book club members may be frustrated by like 45 minutes of something else before we get to the book, but, or, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on our target audience for each episode or whatever, but <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, uh, I believe we're on Fire chapter Hunter, five. five Jarvanka. Yeah. Jarvanka. We come to the them. Yeah. Mm-hmm, them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's see, uh, Jarvanka. I think he, he starts off this chapter kind of talking about Morning Joe, mm-hmm. a TV show that I'm quite familiar with, just from watching clips on YouTube or whatever. Yep. So, um, let's see, what do they say? <clears throat> Early in the 2016 campaign, with a change of leadership at NBC News, it seemed likely that the show, its ratings falling, would be canceled. But Scarborough and Brzezinski embraced their relationship with Trump and became one of the few media outlets, not only with a positive outlook on him, but that seemed to know his thinking. Um, This was the kind of relationship Trump dreamed of. Media people who took him seriously, talked about him often, solicited his views, provided him with gossip, and retailed the gossip he offered them. Hmm. Uh, on the next page. Trump believed that the media, which which he propelled in the case of Scarborough and Brzezinski, uh, Trump believed that the media, which he propelled in the case of Scarborough and Brzezinski, helping them keep their jobs, owed him something. And the media, giving him vast amounts of free coverage, believed he owed them. With Scarborough and Brzezinski seeing themselves as something like semi-official advisers, if not the political fixers who had put him in his job. On their arrival at the White House, the ninth day of his presidency, uh, Trump proudly showed them in the Oval Office and was momentarily deflated when Brzezinski said she had been there many times before with her father, beginning at age nine. (laughs) So, how do you think the first week has gone? Trump asked the couple in a buoyant mood, seeking flattery. (laughs) (laughs) I love how this guy can like ascribe motive. He knows exactly what Trump was thinking at that very moment, Mm -hmm. and I don't doubt it. You know, normally I would, you know, it's like you don't, you didn't talk to them. You don't know exactly what they were thinking at that moment, but I believe that Michael Wolf does. Mm -hmm. Um, Scarborough, puzzled by Trump's jauntiness in the face of protests spreading across the nation, demurred. Uh, but Trump pressed his question, leaving Scarborough with the feeling that nobody had actually told Trump that he had a, had a very bad week. Bannon and Priebus wandering in and out of the office. Might actually have convinced him that the week had been a success. Scarborough thought. <clears throat> uh, Scarborough then ventured his opinion that the immigration order might have been handled better, and that all in all, it seemed like a rough period. <laughs> Trump, surprised, plunged into a long monologue about how well things had gone, telling Bannon and Priebus with a gale of laughter, "Joe doesn't think we had a good week." And turning to Scarborough, "I could have. I should have I could have invited Hannity." <laughs>
0: Yes, you could have. I'm sure he would have come. You could have just called uh, your mutual lawyer, Michael Cohen, and invited him that
1: way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, At lunch, Fish, which Brzezinski doesn't eat, Jared and Ivanka joined the president and Scarborough and Brzezinski. Jared had become quite a Scarborough confidant and would continue to supply Scarborough with an inside view of the White House, that is, leaking to him. Scarborough in turn would become a defender of Kushner's White House position and view. So this is this is kind of the interesting thing where I, I started to get an idea from this book about the role I think we talked about in previous episodes how <clears throat> um, Joe Scarborough and Mika seem to have thought that they could influence Trump through the through the, the Jarvanka uh what can we say, that threw that kind of that node, that connection into the White House. <laughs> and then, you know, mm-hmm. as Bannon took over and stuff, in some ways, uh, I think they were very frustrated at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump continued to cast for positive impressions of his first week. And then some things happened, at which point Jared interjected that Reaching out to unions, a traditional democratic constituency was Bannon was Bannon's doing, that this was the Bannon way. Bannon, said the president, jumping on his son-in-law, that wasn't Bannon's idea, that was my idea. It's the Trump way, not the Bannon way. Kushner, going concave, retreated from the discussion. Trump, changing the topic, said to Scarborough and Brzezinski, so, what about you guys? What's going on? He was referencing their not-so-secret secret secret relationship. Scarborough and Brzezinski said it was all still complicated and not public, officially, but it was good and everything was getting resolved. You guys should just get married, prodded Trump. I can marry you. I'm an internet Unitarian minister, Kushner said. Or Kushner, otherwise an Orthodox Jew, said suddenly. (laughs) what said the president what are you talking about why would they want you to marry them when i could marry them when they could be married by the president at (laughs) (laughs) mar-a-lago presidency started with such promise didn't it yeah right (laughs) yeah um yeah, I mean, Trump went to... I mean, I think Trump and weddings is just a bad combination. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, Trump was at... Wait, wait, no. The Clintons came to one of Trump's weddings, didn't they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, let's See how that worked out. Yeah, right. <laughs> like... Have you ever, I mean, Bob, you've been married, you're married. Um, have you ever thought about locking up one of your former wedding guests? Uh, let's
0: see, I'm trying to think of everybody who was at my wedding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the answer could be maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> no, Just for Trump, sure. you know, you're thinking about it, Trump's talked about it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sadly, I don't even have the power to enact that anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think Trump is discovering that maybe he doesn't either. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, continuing in the next section here, almost everybody advised Jared not to take the inside job. As a family member, he he would command extraordinary influence from a position that no one could challenge. As an insider, a staffer, not only could his experience be challenged, but while the president himself might not yet be exposed, a family member on staff would be where enemies and critics might quite effectively start chipping from. <laughs> Um, Both Jared and Ivanka listened to this advice from, among others, it came from Jared's brother, uh, Josh, doubly making this case not only to protect his brother, but also because of his antipathy to Trump. But both balancing risk against reward ignored it. Trump himself variously encouraged his son-in-law and his daughter in their new ambitions, and as their excitement mounted, tried to express his skepticism, while at the same time telling others that he was helpless to stop them. <laughs> and I, I, I made a note here, what a prima donna. <laughs> Trump, for Jared Nivanka, um, as, as really for everybody else in the new administration, quite including the president, this was a random and crazy turn of history such that how could you not seize it? Jared and Ivanka had made an earnest deal between themselves. If sometime in the future the time came, she'd be the one to run for president, or the first one of them to take the shot. Oh, gosh. The first woman president Ivanka entertained would not be Hillary Clinton. It would be Ivanka Trump. Uh, I don't know what you, I don't even know what kind of privilege you call this insofar as privilege is a thing, but just like <laughs> rich, spoiled daddy's girl privilege or something like, I'll be the first president. Yeah. Why? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad did it, so I could probably do it too. Yeah. Qualifications exactly. don't matter anymore
0: yeah apparently not she's going around the world playing diplomat anyway so yeah why not
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this is yeah. forget about the White House you guys are going to have a hard time staying out of the big house after this <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay, here's how we get to the, the the title of the chapter. Bannon, who had coined the Jarvanca conflation, now in greater use, now in ever greater use, was horrified when the couple's deal was reported to him. They didn't say that. Stop. Oh, come on. They didn't actually say that. Please don't tell me that. Oh, my God. <laughs> another Another prima donna.
0: Right. Well, didn't Bannon flirt with running for president at one point?
1: I don't know that he did. I, I think he, I think he's a creature who's aware of his. Uh, I think "creature" is the operative word. There, <laughs> he's a creature who's observe, who's who's aware, similar to Karl Rove, that he, he'll never be the uh, the face of the campaign. Yeah. So. Um, let's see moving along here, moving along briskly,
0: but he wears so many shirts
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a it's a strange thing mhm he's a yeah he's a I don't know by the way, did you have you been following the developments with Trump's uh, doctor over the past week so
0: is this where his uh, doctor's office was raided by Keith Schiller, the Trump bodyguard, and then he also t- said that of course we all knew this, but that Trump dictated the uh, health note from 2015 where he said he was like, well, the most healthiest man to ever run for president in the history of the country or something
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> who 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 could have possibly predicted that? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't his official opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why this guy, uh, I saw the thing, I saw the interview where, you know, CNN came to him and he said, all right, you guys, we can sit down. But I tell you what, if my, if my wife comes, it's, it's all going to be over. And, like, <laughs> and then like a few minutes later, his list. wife showed up and like, get out of here. This is private property. You're <laughs> trespassing. You can't get inside, honey. <laughs> and it's like, he was right about that. Good morning,
5: Dr. Bornstein. We met Donald Trump's doctor entering his Park Avenue office just as he's done for the last 35 years. Nice to see you. Harold Bornstein is a 69-year-old gastroenterologist who took over this practice from his father and suddenly finds his lifetime of serving patients being turned upside down because of one letter. Hey, can I ask you just a couple questions? Did you really write that letter?
1: Did I really write that letter yet?
5: It is a letter Donald Trump produced last December to prove he is healthy. A note that has been ripped apart by other doctors because of what they say is strange wording, medically incorrect terms, and its unprofessional conclusions. Trump's test results were astonishingly excellent, he writes. And if elected, Mr. Trump, I can state unequivocally, will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. Combined with his somewhat unconventional looks and his unconventional patient, Bornstein has been made out in the aggressive election coverage to be somewhat eccentric. So can we just ask you a few questions The soft-spoken doctor finally agreed, if we weren't intrusive or insulting, to take a few questions on the bench outside his office, warning us his wife will not be so hospitable.
1: Well, My wife will come back, she'll get angry she'll and talk
5: to... The press has kind of tried to make you into be some kind of a lunatic or something.
1: Well, lunatic doesn't have my credentials. And the only thing
4: I've wanted to do in
1: my life is practice with my father, which I managed to do for thirty-five years till his death. In this office. And we've
5: looked. Believe me, sir, we've looked at your record. We've looked for any signs of trouble. You've had a, a couple of medical malpractice well, civil suits no- that were settled, but,
6: but that's, that's a normal.
5: The fact is that is normal for a long practicing doctor. A few malpractice suits from decades ago settled. He's never lost his license, has never faced any criminal allegations whatsoever. An expert CNN has talked with, believe whatever his looks or his clients, Dr. Bornstein seems like a fully competent medical professional. Are there any regrets you have getting involved in this crazy election? No. These people are my patients. They take care of them the right way. Fully, wh- whatever you wrote in that letter, you fully believe, Mr. Trump, is capable of being president physically.
4: Oh, absolutely. There's no question of it. Sorry.
5: Why did you write that letter? Was it a joke? The words you chose, the way you wrote it. I was just
1: rushed for time. I had people to say.
5: There was no Trump limo waiting outside. He says he just wrote the letter for a patient that he's been seeing for the last thirty years. A patient his mother found. What do you make of being interjected into this
1: election? I make the injection. I grew up in Jamaica, New York. There's my wife. I grew up in Jamaica, New York. They lived across the street. My mother found him as a patient from a member of his golf club. And he stayed for 30 years. And
5: then, as he warned. His wife arrived. You're done. Stop it. You're
3: done. You're done. You're okay. on private property. Oh, okay, man, gonna we're, call not, the we're not police. I'm going to call
5: the police. I appreciate you, Doctor.
3: I'm going to call the police right now. No, You're in pro- no, they're in private property.
5: Thank you, Doctor. Please. Thank you very Thank much.
1: You. Yeah. But I'm like, why did this guy give this interview? Because now he's back in the spotlight and, you know. And he said something like, I, I forget what he said. He he said he felt like he'd been violated or something mm-hmm. when they raided his office and mm-hmm. stole his only picture of Donald Trump. Or oh, and he also said, this
0: was after he um, said that Trump had been given hair growth treatments also, wasn't it? Wasn't that the
1: thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Tr- Trump is like, I mean, yeah, Trump's got thin skin. And he's got a million foibles and shortcomings, and he's, like, so uptight about all of them. I mean, we've all got some stuff for whatever, but, like, it is just out of this world with this guy. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> probably, like, anybody who ever meets this guy has to sign an NDA <laughs> and never talk about what they, you know— <laughs> did with him said about him what he said in their presence what they gave him what he gave them <laughs> you know these things can never ever ever be discussed
0: yeah well and, and it's so transparent to me at least of what's going on and it's like you know it's, it's, well, I mean his hair is a perfect example of this it's like we all know that, that his hair does not naturally look like that there's does anyone think that's true but he like he's acting like this is some kind of state secret and he's like you know raiding people's offices and like you know then was the the point in this book, I believe later on, where uh, Ivanka tells what's going on with his hair. And of course, we had that video with the stiff wind that, that blew it back, and it's apparently just like sideburns that he combs around his entire head. But you know, it's like he, he's acting like this is like a big secret that, that no one knows that a 70 year old man doesn't have a full head of blonde hair, you know, naturally. It's like, yeah, we know. It's like well, this is something's going
1: on here, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's. um. It is. It is. Yeah, it's bizarre. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I think. I wonder. You know. I think. Like everything goes wrong for this guy. So I think before the uh, four to eight years is complete, I think we're going to see his bald head at some point. (laughs) It's just just straight up going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know if somebody a protester is going to grab him. I don't know if the wind's just going to be too strong. He's going to walk out under a helicopter, and the the downdraft is going to be too powerful. But I think we're going to see his bald fucking head at some point.
0: Yeah, we just need to get Jimmy Fallon closer to him again. He can tossle his hair a little harder this time.
1: But. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing to let the guy touch it actually, knowing the truth now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, yeah, he's, he is a clown. Yeah. I mean, I find myself yeah calling a lot of people clowns right now like my current boss is a clown Donald Trump is a clown
2: but you're scared of clowns like,
1: you said <laughs> yeah not these clowns well, I mean, <laughs> different clowns I, I mean they're just they're, they're clowns and not not because uh, they, they don't wear makeup although Trump probably wears yes
0: he does makeup. he definitely wears makeup he's orange <laughs> Yeah,
1: and his eyes are like freakishly white
0: yeah I think James so Comey even made mention of that a... in his uh, new book because I guess he was saying because of the uh, goggles that you wear when you go into the tanning booth or whatever or, or maybe spray tan who knows but
1: yeah it's it's disconcerting to see mm-hmm. but yeah the guy is like he's ugly yeah,
0: not a good looking dude.
1: Oh, I uh, I mean, have you seen Kanye's latest uh, uh, "Cry for Attention"? For lack of a better word.
0: Gee, which one? I mean, this is yeah, been unbearable yeah, to watch. Reporting
1: Trump or saying slavery was a choice for yes, black people. Yes, I saw that.
4: <laughs> when you hear about slavery for four hundred years, for four hundred years, that sounds like a choice. <laughs> like. You was there for four hundred years, and it's all of y'all. You know, like it's like we're we're mentally in prison. I like the word prison because slavery goes di- too too direct to the uh, idea of blacks. It's like slavery, Holocaust, Holocaust Jews, uh, slavery is blacks. So prison is something that unites us as one race, blacks and whites being one race. Uh, that we're one. We're, we're the human race. We're human beings and stuff. And then eventually, you know, um, can
7: can, yeah. can I go back to something? I mean, yeah said, because yeah. I don't want to let it pass, you yeah. said that slavery was around for 400 years at a point it becomes a choice? Yeah, right now we're we're we're
4: choosing to be enslaved. We're like, okay, so Ebro, I FaceTime on, and I'm there with Candace, right? And Ebro starts bringing up these, his version of facts, right? And Candace has facts, she's researched, Candace right? Owens Candace spirit. Owens has facts, she's researched. And then Candace just pulls out her Jedi lightsaber and just, you know, chops Ebro's head off with facts that ebro facetimes me the next day and he's talking about the scoop scoop poop. he wants to talk about music now i said yo you gonna have candace on your show he's like nah i'm not she's mean so you're gonna stifle her voice ebro you're choosing to enslave people's minds you're choosing to not let the truth be free
1: i, I i've been done with this guy for a little while now and i hope You know, I hope I think a lot of people are starting to wake up. He had some good tunes, you know, several years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe an argument could be made for some of his later albums on a musical level or whatever. Mm -hmm. But to me, like, I can't even appreciate the music because it's so wrapped up with his freaking freakish ego. Yeah, you know. Well,
0: it makes no. Yeah. What? It's a big surprise to everyone that he finds kinship with another egomaniac (laughs) person. That you know. <laughs> like Trump, I mean they're peas in a pod, you know, it's it's pretty obvious and I don't know. I, I blame the Kardashians for this mostly. I mean he's got I, some I blame Obama. Illness, but Obama.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Obama had his Jay Z and Beyonce. Yep. And he called he called Kanye a jackass because yep. he was.
7: Mm-hmm. The young lady seems like a perfectly nice person. She's getting her award. What's he doing Why up he do there? He's a jackass. <laughs> No no this all this stuff that's
2: I'm assuming all this stuff where's the pool
7: Come on guys let cut the president some slack
1: And and uh, you know in so in the same way that you know people say Trump ran because Obama teased him at the uh, at the press uh, ball or yeah. whatever
7: mm-hmm. Donald Trump is here tonight Now, I know that he's taken some flack lately, but no one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? (laughs) What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? All kidding aside, obviously, we all know about your credentials and breadth of experience. Um, for example, uh, no, seriously, just recently, in an episode of Celebrity Apprentice, at the steakhouse, the men's cooking team uh, did not impress the judges from Omaha Steaks. And there was a lot of blame to go around. But you, Mr. Trump, recognized that the real problem was a lack of leadership. And so, ultimately, you didn't blame Little John or Meatloaf. You fired Gary Busey. And these are the kind of decisions that would keep me up at night. well handled say what you will about uh, Mr. Trump he certainly would bring some change to the White House
1: yeah I think Kanye is buddied up with Trump number one I think he's trying to target the racist uh, alt-right audience or whatever he's got now.
0: a new uh, album because coming out sure yeah yeah mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and I'm very disappointed in Ti for even being on the track with him, where he talks about Trump.
4: Yes, that was that was very disappointing.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that.
4: Like these is all super pretty things that make you feel everything is safe. I got my polo shirt. I got my horse. (laughs) I got my cross on me. I agree, but I just think that when you have lives lost as artists, that gives us an obligation to stand up against. All of that kind of You know, of me putting the hat on forces an evolution because there's, even for me, I know so much more in the past three days because I'm getting this energy, positive or negative, agreeing with me, disagreeing with me, it's like, and that's like sharpens the diamond and shit, our mind, our, our consciousness, the way we're thinking, just breaking some shit. Your intentions, from what you tell me up here, but the direction that you yeah. took to get there is a bit unorthodox and kind of, I would say, some people would say thoughtless. If I had knocked down what I felt and I just thought, mm-hmm. then it would have just never happened. And when I wear that hat, it's like a fight for equality. Like, oh, I can wear this hat too. I think people get mad at me when I name my idols. Uh, and I name—I don't say Michael Jordan, I say Disney. I just want you to mm-hmm. consider all the people who, 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 who just might be terribly, like, just torn apart and hurt. I, w- I really wanna take that hurt off of them and let them understand that I did not wear that hat to hurt them. Half the shit Trump does, I don't agree with. What hat do you agree with? I was like, I just, let's get that, let's get that out. Just the ability to do what no one said you could do, to do the impossible, is the most inspiring thing to me. Can you play um, the one I said? Tell daddy what you learned in school. Don't play with that boy? I okay. no, just play with that, yeah. Alright. Okay. All right. Yeah. i you could mix into that because I basically gave a lot of my side on that. Sure. It just so <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And that shit and your shit come and you say, whoa, 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 what you say? How could that be? We sort of You know what I'm saying? The exact conversation we have. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure where you're trying to go with this. Some things you don't align with and some shit you just don't go against. Yeah. Like I would, you know, I would, I would mm. kind of, you know. Let me, let me see what he got here. <laughs> Where are you going now? Is everything that you built can be destroyed, torn down? I know everybody emotional. Would it be better if I rapped about selling crap because it's cultural? Or well, how about I'm going to shoot you? A fucking bitch. Or how about the doofie? Or I'm fucking rich. Here's a suggestion Be selective with your critical views of people who'd have made greater contributions than you.
0: Well, that was slightly better than the uh, poopity scoop, whoopity whoop, or
1: whatever. I don't know. I haven't heard the tracks so no. yet. But, um,
0: no, yeah. that was one of two tracks they released. The other one was like three minutes of like music, and then Kanye comes on and, and just says, whoopity scoop, whoopity scoop, and that's the whole verse. So,
1: <sighs> Okay. Yeah. <that> well. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think uh, I'm happy to see a lot of people seem to be done with Kanye. Yeah. Uh, you know. And good luck to him. Good luck to him when it was the alt right, you know. Yeah. after this whole Trump fever fever breaks we'll see how much they still like Kanye's music
0: oh yeah they're just using him because they think it's like oh yeah see he's a celebrity yeah he's doing it too like they don't really care about him personally at all so like they're just like yay yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I know they say you, n- you should never read the comments but I've read some of the comments mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of douchey like white people like uh, I never fucking liked his music much but uh, you know I'm giving him another listen now because uh, I think he's right on this and I'm like <laughs> sounds kind of good. And I'm like, come on. Yeah, seriously. I don't like the music. It's no. is, you, you, you've got biased reasoning. You're mm-hmm. you're looking, you want to like something because you think he agrees with you on something that you're totally wrong about. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Well, he's <laughs> definitely targeting the uh, Toby Keith market for sure. So,
1: <clears throat> Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, we'll see how he does with American Redneck or you know, what, American, what red American Badass. American Badass was that the Toby Keith song or whatever? No, that was, uh, that was uh, Kid FNA. Rock. You're thinking of Kid that? Rock? Okay. No. What was the What was the courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Angry American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that of course was about Bush or something. The Bush voter go mm-hmm. Six Pack or whatever. It wasn't mm-hmm. about Barack Obama, the president who actually killed Osama bin Laden. No, of course. I didn't not. I don't remember Toby Keith's like ode to President Obama after he actually got <laughs> Bin Laden. It was all, you know, this this uh you know I don't know. You know, there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh, elements at play there, but mm-hmm. yeah, for some reason, Toby Keith had kind of jumped off that, that that, that uh, I don't know, he wasn't on that truck anymore when I got to the station. Yeah, I, I'm mixing my metaphors here, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> to, For some reason, he wasn't as gung-ho after Obama killed Bin Laden. I know, he'd moved on to other things by then. <laughs> yeah I mean I mean my god you know like uh, 9-11 was so 10 years ago at that point Mm -hmm, right
0: exactly (laughs) he had Uh, to make songs about red solo cups at that point so
1: (laughs) yeah I haven't followed his career too much after that but Uh, not that I did much before that but I (laughs) was aware who he was at least
0: I know you've gotten your tattoo removed since then so
1: (laughs) oh yeah 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 yeah, I covered up Bauchik or what was it, Bowitchabadi? I covered that up with I did it all for the Nookie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fred Durst. That's a that's a late '90s, early '2000s reference for oh yeah someone. That's a deep cut. I'll appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Wonder what happened to Fred Durst and the boys.
0: Yeah, I think they're still going. Huh. I mean, what else are they going to do? Weird. Grow as
1: people. Make sure <laughs> no. turn the hat forwards. <laughs> Get that freaky looking dude to take the damn contacts out of his eyes and stop acting like a monkey. <laughs> Wes Borland. Oh yeah. That oh, oh yeah. It was right.
0: I'm sad. That, I'm sad that I know that. But yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. The fact that we're even talking about this may uh, be a little bit too revealing of our. Um, hey, we grew up in, um, in
0: Southern Indiana in the uh, late 90s, so you know it's you know <laughs> there's only so much we can do yeah. to get away from that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. This is the closest to hip hop we could get out there in the country on our radio. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. We knew what hip hop was too, but mm-hmm. for some reason at that point, at that moment in time, it seemed like the the rap rock thing was gonna go somewhere maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Double without a cause, you go on platinum.
1: I you know, I hate to admit it, but like you go back and listen to the that that album by Kid Rock. Yeah, I do there were some there were some decent tracks there on are. there. I think he's, he's it was reprehensible a solid album. at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. I mean he had some I mean you know you
0: mean future Senator Kid Rock.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see if you can he, <laughs> We'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, anyways, okay. I guess we better probably got to continue here, continue along in the book, but Mm -hmm. a few asides there. Yeah, it's always, we always got to come back to pop culture in Mm -hmm. one way or another. Okay, let's see. In addition, the president, this is on page 70. In addition, the president has immediately handed Jared the Middle East portfolio, making him one of the significant international players in the administration, indeed in the world. In the first weeks, this brief extended out to virtually every other international issue about which nothing in Kushner's previous background would have prepared him for. Uh, Trump himself you could see as a sort of Delphic oracle sitting in place and throwing out pronouncements which had to be interpreted or as an energetic child and whomever could placate or distract him became his favorite. There's the Joffrey angle. Or as the sun god, which is effectively how he saw himself, the absolute center of attention, dispensing favor and delegating power, which could at any moment be withdrawn. Uh, The additional dimension was that this sun god had little calculation. His inspiration existed in the moment, hence all the more reason to be there with him in the moment. (laughs) Bannon, for one, joined Trump for dinner every night, or at least made himself available. One bachelor there for the effective other bachelor. Priebus would observe that in the beginning, everyone would try to be part of these dinners, but within a few months, they had become a torturous duty to be avoided. Then they come to the part... Let's see. The subtleties here were immense, because while Trump was often most influenced by the last person he spoke to, he did not actually listen to anyone. (laughs) Excuse me. So it was not so much the force of an individual argument or position that moved him, but rather more just someone's presence, the connection of what was going through his mind. And although he was a person of many obsessions, much of what was on his mind had no fixed view to whomever he was with and their views. Um, Ultimately, Trump may not be that different in his fundamental solipsism uh, from anyone of great wealth who has lived most of his life in a highly controlled environment. But one clear difference was that he had acquired almost no formal sort of social discipline. Uh, He could not even attempt to imitate decorum. He could not really converse. For instance, not in the sense of sharing information or of a balanced back-and-forth conversation. He neither particularly listened to what was said to him nor particularly considered what he said in response one reason he was so repetitive nor did he treat anyone with any sort of basic or reliable courtesy if he wanted something his focus might be sharp and attention lavish but if someone wanted something from him he tended to become irritable and quickly lost interest he demanded you pay attention he demanded you pay him attention and decided you were weak for groveling in a sense he was like an instinctive pampered and hugely successful actor everybody was either a lackey who did his bidding or a high ranking film functionary trying to coax out his attention and performance and to do this without making him angry or petulant (laughs) the payoff was his enthusiasm quickness spontaneity and if he departed for a moment from the non-stop focus on himself, an often incisive sense of the weakness of his opponents and a sense of their deepest desires.
0: That's true. Yeah, he's got that bully's instinct for what people are afraid of, you know, people finding out or thinking about them. So, I, you know, he's he's an he's a total like he's totally incompetent in so many areas. It's hard it's hard to or it's easy to forget that uh he has intelligence in in areas, certain areas. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everybody has some gifts, and maybe you know, <clears throat> yeah, that could possibly be one of his. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Let's see. Let's keep pushing forward here. Uh, Jared Jared Kushner, in quite a short period of time, rather than less than a year, had crossed over from the standard Democratic view in which he was raised to an acolyte of Trumpism, bewildering many friends and, as well, his own brother, whose insurance company, Oscar, funded with Kushner family money, was destined to be shattered by a repeal of Obamacare. Um, This seeming conversion was partly the result of Bannon's insistent and charismatic tutoring, a kind of real-life engagement with world-bending ideas that had escaped Kushner even at Harvard. And it was helped by his own resentments toward the liberal elites, whom he had tried to court with his purchase of the New York Observer, an effort that had backfired terribly. And it was once he ventured onto the campaign trail about having to convince himself that close up to the absurd everything made sense, that Trumpism was a kind of unsentimental real politic that would show everybody in the end. But most of all, it was that they had won, and he was determined not to look a gift horse in the mouth. And everything that was bad about Trumpism, he had convinced himself he could help fix again, I think we continue to see a long line of idiots think that they're going to be the one who are going to, like, save Trump from himself or mm-hmm. save America from Trump. And, I mean, we saw Giuliani on TV yeah, on his first day on the job as lawyer, practically, and he, like, <laughs> blew up the case. <laughs> it's like, don't blow up the case. That's Trump's job. <laughs> exactly. It's like there's two Trumps now. <laughs> Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman. 130,000, I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Yeah, I think Bill Maher said that they're both senile. A night or two ago.
6: Rudy and Trump, first of all, they're both senile. They're both fucking. Guys, you gotta write your lies down. You know how it is at that age. Sometimes you walk into a room and you forget what lie you came in there for. You know, it's.
0: Yeah, that's
1: not, yeah. I think it's true, probably.
0: Yeah, Rudy seems different than I remember him. He seems even more unhinged lately. I like how he's, like, just declares that it's not a campaign finance violation. It's just, you know, like, he can decide whether or not it is. It's, like, it's not
1: really for you to decide <laughs> Bob, whether or not. He he was a prosecutor, Bob. This is oh, his house. You're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> how can how, what legal... Uh, standard are you basing your decision that it might be a, that he might be wrong on
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I'm sure he let all the mobsters he was prosecuting. He I'm sure he let them decide what was legal and what wasn't. So <laughs> Well, there was uh, you know, I mean before 9/11, he had some pretty serious, you know, corruption things that were going to come out about him and then of course that happened and everyone forgot about it. So yeah he, like remove the term limits or whatever he did to be a four-term mayor or a three-term mayor or whatever he was
1: so yeah i'm trying to remember i mean i remember him around the 9-11 time and stuff and i mm-hmm. mean, i don't know it might bear like going back to look at that period again but i don't remember like i don't know i don't know i mean he was the mayor of a city when it was attacked um and he went on t v okay I don't know, I don't know, but he's he represents something different now, whatever it is, whatever mm-hmm. it was back then too,
0: yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like when I uh, had Rick Wilson on, who was in charge of his mayoral campaign. I guess uh, he was talking about how it was just dumbfounding to him to see Giuliani defend Trump after he was the one that like was a prosecutor for all these years and had you know he know he knows what the laws are. You know, this isn't this isn't some newbie. It's like you're just willing to torture your entire reputation for this guy, and and he's not going to pay you back. That's that's the thing I don't understand about people who are willing to you know shred themselves for this guy. It's like there's never going to be another end of it where he'll like repay your loyalty in any way it seems like it just you end up with a knife in your back anyway so I guess for a moment you get to be in the spotlight but it's like this is not long-term thinking so well not
1: just for a moment you get to be in the history books sure absolutely I mean you get a legacy if you look at MSNBC and Fox and you know CNN and all these places you see a whole bunch of you know, neoconservatives, you know, Bush era speech writers or, you know, mm-hmm. all these people, even the Atlantic and stuff. Uh, you know, so maybe there is, maybe in the future, there is going to be some place for these people. after this <laughs> Only if
0: something worse happens, know. I guess. <laughs>
1: like. Well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these people had their positions even after Obama came. I mean, even true. during the Obama year, so it, it didn't, it wasn't even just the Trump year era that brought them out, but <laughs> somehow a lot of them were able to salvage their, uh, their credibility and their, you know, they polished up their resume in the White House or, you know, in different departments or whatever at that time period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of former, like, people who have gone on to do other things, I guess, after an administration, have you listened to that, like, the, the last podcast on the left thing at all? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've listened to a couple episodes. I don't listen to it too much, but I listen to some of it. I think, like, those guys were both – I think one of them was a speechwriter or something for Obama. They were both in the Obama White House. Hmm. So, you, you know, when you listen to it, like, they're, they seem like pretty normal guys, but obviously they're probably pretty – Motivated and high achieving, and you know, go getters and so forth. And but yeah, they were you know they were in the room, I guess. So mm-hmm. you know, you get to hear a little bit of that that inside baseball stuff or whatever.
0: I think the last podcast on the, one the left I... might be about horror movies. Or something. I'd have to look it up. I don't know, but I think you're actually, thinking I'm of confusing. Pod Save America, actually.
1: Okay, maybe that's the one. I I honestly can't remember which one it was. Then I. I...
0: Wait, no, last pod. Yeah, last podcast on the left is a horror movie podcast.
1: Okay, then I must. I'm um, thinking of Pod Save America." You must too, be then, thinking yeah. of that, yeah. I would say they're like they had this like kind of like relentless positivity thing. Yeah, it's, I know.
0: It's like maybe it's not going to be yeah. okay, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're still on that "Yes, we can" tip. It's just know, like, right this right is on. the Trump era, guys. Wake up! Exactly. We, we may—I may be a little bit relentlessly negative or something or critical or something. Else. I have no idea how I come across. This <laughs> actually, it'd be interesting to know that. Uh
0: I mean I don't you're, know. you're one of my most popular guests so you do have a following so I mean you can't be that
1: bad but yeah yeah in spite of the bad audio connection that times
0: <laughs> I hate That's how the clear their audio you know. is <laughs> Cl- crystal clear <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. It's like they're they're in the studio with an actual microphone. I know. Maybe if I'd gone to Harvard, exactly. I'd have something Yale, I'd have a microphone too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Here we are at the Salty Rob Burgess podcast, and we're salty.
0: Exactly. So. We're, we're just DIY. We're coming from the ground
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the Joe Rogan experience my god the guy's a total libertarian <laughs> sorry we're just shitting on everybody exactly right. who
0: else can we start a beef with to boost our ratings
1: <laughs> yeah right that, that, that's our new that's our new strategy for the rubber just for podcasts is uh, yeah. start beef with an enormous podcast that we can never win and uh, you know leech off the uh, the hate that comes our way
0: come on Sam Harris what are you what are
1: you hiding from <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Sam Harris, I used to be an atheist, but uh you know I I've, I've been talking to God lately. And, uh, <laughs> you, by the way, did you follow the Sam Harris as reclined beef?
0: Oh yeah, I I didn't read all the endless articles or anything, but I heard the uh, joint podcast that they did together finally. Did you hear that?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was it was interesting and I don't know, I, I like, um, I don't know. I, I'm with Sam Harris on a lot of stuff, but I think he gets, he goes down the rabbit hole a little bit too far sometimes with, uh, I don't know. For me, I guess the consciousness stuff is vaguely interesting and the the AI stuff is vaguely interesting, but mm-hmm. it's not like endless two hour podcasts where he says the same things again and again, mm-hmm. kind of interesting, um, and he, he he, there was a period where he was talking about Trump a lot, I and mean, then every every episode he would do that, he'd apologize. He'd
2: yeah, say, I always sorry. thought those were this, the best this, ones.
1: I know those are the ones that I was listening to. I was like, I almost like was gonna send him a message like, hey, just so you hear the other side. I'm actually a podcast listener who'd like to hear more about your opinions on the Trump era. But he's like, I know this this pisses off some portion of my. Uh, my uh, fan base, but uh, I just feel like I have to say it. I'm like, well, fuck them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's this thing, like, you know, where, um, like, the Jordan Peterson and. Oh, the, Jordan uh, Peterson.
0: The- I don't know. What is it that people like about that guy? Because I heard that one episode he did with him, and I was just like, this guy is so. I don't, he doesn't, is he offering here? I don't get it. Like, why do people think he's smart?
1: Like, (laughs) Yeah, I think he's, I think he's intelligent, but I think he's, you know, people forget that intelligent people can often be wrong about some things, especially when those things are sometimes out of their own wheelhouse. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, he's, he's you know, sort of like a, a dumb person's idea of what a smart person sounds like, I think. I guess, you know? I don't know. And he's, he's got this whole paternalistic thing, like, mm-hmm. where, he, you know, he's like your dad that you never had, who comes and tells you to, like, clean up your room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before you criticize the Trump society, then you need to you need to fix yourself first. Yeah. Like, no, bitch. <laughs> we d- we didn't got time. <laughs> my room's a fucking mess, and Trump sucks. <laughs> <I have that. laughs> I'm capable of holding two ideas in my head simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can deal with that. So. But I, yeah, I don't know. I I think like I don't know on the the, the kind of alt right and the libertarian stuff. There is there does seem to be like this kind of this desire for a you know a strong male figure to tell you what to do or something I, yeah, like I pathological or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: but I, yeah, I know I know what you mean about Sam Harris. Anyway, going back to that um, Ezra Klein thing, like I thought Ezra Klein had some points. Actually, I actually, I, you know, I I think they both had some points in that thing. I think they were talking past yeah. each other the, the whole time, like you know. And I yeah. I think that I think that one thing I really agreed with that Ezra Klein said is that their their focus is just different. What they think is important is just whatever. Because like I remember when you know Sam Harris said he was scared to have Ta-Nehisi coats on. It's like, well, maybe you should have Ta-Nehisi coats on because I know you. You don't like what he emphasizes, but that's that's a big blind spot of yours. You don't really take into account the idea of you know race or racism or anything else being a, a factor. It's just like he's a total you know like you know he's talking about oh beliefs matter and you know matters what these people think and what the Quran says and it's like well think about the other things around this. Why has Islam existed for thousands of years and you know this strain of it has only thrived in the last few decades? Could there be a correlation to what we're going through otherwise in society maybe you know do you think about that (laughs) like you know open your mind a little bit you know to to what this other stuff is so and uh yeah yeah i don't know
1: i i I think i think one of one of sam harris's blind spots is is that like when he's in a conversation or a debate with somebody or any kind of contentious conversation like he can never like like if there's some disagreement like a very foundational disagreement at the very beginning he can never move past it oh yeah and, he'll just spend uh, like
0: entire hours on like one point that we could yeah. have just moved past and it's like okay you guys don't agree or you misstated that who cares it's not what we we're going to talk about you know so
1: yeah i i i, I can i mean to some degree I can to understand it because to some degree if you agree to your opponent's framing then you're perpetually on the back foot for the rest of the discussion but at the same time you've got to know when you're no longer producing entertaining content, but, you know. Not yeah. that that's the end-all, be-all, but I'm saying, like, I've heard multiple podcasts where he's, not, not just Ezra Klein, but, like, other podcasts, too, with other people, where the other person, and the other person can be a little bit pedantic, too, and I think they kind of both feed off of that or whatever, but yeah. it's just like it's a two-and-a-half-hour slog where like <laughs> they never move past this one thing and they keep bickering about it, and it's like, come on, man, you, you guys are supposed to be big thinkers. You've got to you got to zoom out and see the big picture at some point and, yeah. you Yeah. Know.
0: As soon as I hear him yeah. use the word unpack something, I'm like, oh, my god, We're never going to be – we're never leaving our way. <laughs> like,
1: mm.
0: yeah. Let's just unpack that. Yeah, no, let's not. Let's pack it up and never look <laughs> at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think he's, I think he's a generally a smart guy. Oh, yeah. no, I, I, I mean,
0: I, we're both listening to him for a reason, but come on, man.
1: like. <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought Ezra Klein's best point was when – and I wish he had drilled down on it a little bit more was when he said something like um, uh, you know you identify with people usually on the right or the alt-right or something like that or with you know these racist sensibilities who feel like they've been targeted or they've been deplatformed or they've been targeted by liberals or something and this this is your kind of your identity politics is that you identify with mm-hmm. these people and you don't consider everything else that surrounds that and you just mm-hmm. identify over this one thing and suddenly like you feel you see yourself in them and so you're trying to protect them from other people who you may have more in common with politically Mm -hmm. who are attacking them for, for a valid reason that you don't see because you just see the attacking or whatever. And I thought that that was a point where, and then, you know, they went off on some other tangent and so he didn't really stick with that. But I was like, yes, that's, that's the true thing. And that's the thing that I see with like, um, what's the, the Rubin report you know that guy
0: oh I gave up on him a long time ago I think I gave up on oh, him yeah. when Trump got elected I was super into him for like a while and then I was like and I saw a video where he was like look do you know this Trump thing could be good for free speech it's like we got bigger problems right now Dave Rubin this is nothing matter look, free speech on campus is not number one issue right now <laughs> maybe if Hillary yeah. got elected I'd still be listening but this is you know we bigger fish to fry man
1: <laughs> yeah yeah this, but with, with him and with like yeah with to some degree with Sam Harris although not to the same degree mm-hmm. and with you know with uh, yeah, with uh, Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and with uh, with Jordan Peterson with all these guys like you know Milo Yiannopoulos like there's this this kind of this this cabal of people who are all interconnected because they feel like liberal snowflakes are trying to oppress them or something and so they've kind of like Formed this alliance of convenience with each other, and some of them are tolerable, some of them have interesting stuff to say on some stuff, and some of them are just reprehensible, Mm -hmm. and they're they're really sullying their name. And then you get a whole bunch of fanboys, right? Then you get a whole bunch of fanboys who will defend them to the death, like... When I was going through the uh, Sam Harris's Facebook thing after he posted the Ezra Klein interview, mm-hmm. like there were some people who were reasonable and kind of measured, like you and I were kind of like, well, I think you know he had some good points and you did too. Mm-hmm. But then there were like two thirds of it was probably like people like, oh my god, this Ezra Klein guy is so clueless, clueless, like he doesn't understand the good points you were making. Oh my god, yeah, mm-hmm. God, I can't believe you talked to this guy. It's like there's just so many fanboys who will automatically defend whatever, you know, whatever Sam Harris says or yeah. whatever. You know, Jordan Peterson says just de facto, their, their default position is this person is so much smarter than whoever they're talking to. The other person had zero good points. This guy was 100% right. And it's just this is kind of a, this disgusting fanboy stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Right when it's like supposed to be built on free thought, and and ironically, it's like this atheist uh, thing is actually coming into you know this particular strand of it turns into dogmatism at a certain point unless you start thinking for yourself again. So
4: yeah, and
1: and another thing, and I, one thing I will I will give massive credit to Sam Harris for having Ezra Klein on. The thing is, I think Ezra Klein is a, a cogent thinker and a coherent guy and a well-spoken dude. And that's the kind of guy that a lot of times these guys don't want to talk to, mm-hmm. you know, like Joe Rogan will have the occasional, I mean, he'll have, you know, liberals like that. What's the woman who used to work for RT or whatever before she quit or what or I, or she got, I don't remember what her, Hmm. Abby something Abby Hoffman or Abby uh, something Yeah, I know who you're
0: talking about. Mm-hmm.
1: And she, and and she's a left-winger mm-hmm. to be to be sure, but she's kind of like in the uh what's the guy's name? People's History of America Oh, Howard Zinn. Uh, no, no I'm thinking Noam Chomsky. She's oh, kind of Noam in Chomsky. the Howard's and Noam Chomsky. Mm-hmm. Like she's kinda in that vein. And so she's she's a liberal, but they'll have they'll have her on the podcast. Or they'll have that guy Kyle Kalinski who's gone he's gone full Jimmy Dore <laughs> and you never go full Jimmy Dore. So <laughs> You know, so these guys like Joe Rogan will have people like Jimmy Dore or Kyle Kalinske on the show, and they'll pretend to be like the the liberal. You know, hey, we welcome all opinions here, mm-hmm. and you know these guys are. I think there's like there's this cult of free speech, and you're a journalist, Bob. So I don't I don't expect you to follow me all the way here. Mm-hmm. But like, we've got this cult of free speech in America in a way. You know, it's like. At, at the same time, like I mean, everybody gets offended. Everybody's got certain things you can't say, mm-hmm. but they want to pretend that they still believe in free speech, mm-hmm. and and they, they they worship free speech and stuff, and this and that, and this and that. They complain about deplatformings, but at the same time, like a lot, of, you know, a lot of these guys won't, don't want to talk to, for example. Uh, Majority report, Sam Cedar, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to go on the majority report. They don't yeah, I know he they and know
0: Dave Rubin have a big thing going,
1: don't they? Yeah, and Jimmy Dore too. Mm-hmm. Um, although I saw, I saw the alternative media circle the wagons when a CNR, CNN article was written a few weeks ago that listed uh Jimmy Dore as a conspiracy theorist, a left wing example of a conspiracy theorist They're like everybody. It was like a full court press, you know? Jim Kuger, uh you know, uh Kyle Kalinsky, of course, Jimmy Dore himself, of course, and the majority report too. And they're like, this is not right. You can't compare Jimmy Dore to these alt right types. And I'm like, Jimmy Dore has become he's made himself into a very useful idiot. And again, we got to be. We're probably going to get a lot of hate after this episode, or whatever, depending on who listens. Because you know, you look at any comment under a Young Turks video these days. Ninety-nine percent of them are like, "Jimmy's right, Cenk's wrong." Yeah, Cenk better be nice to Jimmy. Jimmy's the only reason I still watch the Young Turks. You got all these like fanboys. And it's like Jimmy's a fucking idiot. I used to like the guy, but he's an idiot. He's gone. You know. I think he hates Hillary Clinton more than Rush Limbo did, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know like, like, I'm not her biggest fan either, but come on. The guy's, like, pathological in that respect.
0: hmm So... Well, I mean, I, I think people have misapprehensions. You are talking about free speech before. I think people yeah. have misapprehensions about that. It's like people think they should be able to say what they want, when they want, wherever they want. And that's not what the First Amendment, at least, is about. The First Amendment is the government can't stop you from saying your speech. So if the government comes and tells you you can't do something, yeah, I'll be on your side and, and that. But if you're in someone's private space, they can tell you to leave. Like, I don't have to have everyone in the world on my podcast. I don't have to let them say whatever they want to on my podcast. It's my space. If I don't like what they're saying and I don't like what they're representing, I don't have to invite them into my space. And that's, you know, that's, you know, as much uh, covered under the First Amendment as anything else. So people need to get over this idea that you need to be able to say anything, anywhere, anytime. You know, sometimes you shouldn't be able to say things in certain areas. And if it's in someone else's space, they can tell you to leave, and that's
1: perfectly okay. Well, I'm just saying, like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, for example... Uh, I think I think people are so into free speech as a concept or as a talking point. You know, everybody says, you know, I don't agree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Right? Everybody talks mm-hmm. about that. But, you know, the second like, you know, the second Colin Kaepernick or somebody stands up, they're like, He needs to play yep. football, mm-hmm, get back on the mm-hmm. field, get off the field. We don't wanna see you know, stand up for the pledge. This is you know, they, they're not going to defend to the death his right to say what the hell he wants. And most people aren't. Most people are not. Most people are going to tell the person they don't agree with to shut the fuck up. And that's that's more honest in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, like, you know, the only, like, restriction on free speech, is, you know, is uh, incitement of violence or yelling uh, fire in a crowded theater, I thought – I think we have to seriously examine – What what am I saying here? I I think, like, we have to look at other countries in the world. We have to look at a country like Germany or, like, places in Europe that has um, anti-hate speech laws, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean... We say, well, if we if we start restricting the hate speakers, then uh, then it's a slippery slope. And pretty soon nobody can say anything. It's like, no, not necessarily. I mean, would you say that Germany today is not a democracy Mm -hmm. because they restrict hate speech Mm -hmm. Um, in South Korea? You know, there's restrictions on what you could say positive about North Korea and what you can publish. It's like, does that mean it's not a democracy? Does that mean like their rights are slowly being eroded in other ways? No, I mean, these are just very specific things. And I think, like, when you allow these hate speakers to get together in places like, like the, uh, was it Charlottesville? Uh, like, when you, when you allow these people to go into community with their hate speech and violence is entirely predictable, mm-hmm. I think this is an example. I mean, fuck their free speech. If they're going to go in there and they're going to start fights and they're going to come and they're going to, like, bring their weapons and torches and shit, and they're going to be, you know, that poor black kid who got beat up in the, uh, in the, the parking garage or whatever. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of days ago a couple yep. of those guys got convicted of that. Finally, but, finally. But it's like this was entirely predictable when mm-hmm. these people were coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is somebody yelling fire in a crowded theater. Yep. Injury and death is the predictable result, but we're all paralyzed. Well, it's their free speech. They can go there and they can chant, you know, the the Jews will not replace us, and that's their right. We can't. we got to throw up our hands. What can we possibly do about it? hmm and it's like, I'm just thinking, has free speech gone too far? Mm-hmm. You
0: know well there's a big actually it's, it's like funny a- it's funny you say that because there's a big uh, kind of schism in the ACLU that I was reading about uh, where kind of one faction uh, like the uh, the faction that you know f- defended the Nazis that marched in Skokie, Illinois and you remember that when that happened in the 70s or 80s or whatever uh, so oh
1: yeah like like it was yesterday
0: right absolutely um, <laughs> no. so so there's there's that faction that's like well we'll we'll defend our, our rights but then there's like what you're talking about with Charlottesville and that and it's like the obvious End result was always going to be this. This is why they're doing this. They're provoking until there's a reaction and then they can get violent. Um, so, you know, now I think what the. Because the ACLU defended the Charlottesville protesters' right to be there. That was the whole. That was the end result of that case, was them defending them, uh, having that permit to hold their Unite the Right rally or whatever. So there's a faction of the ACLU that is now trying to push for it. And I think they may have even changed their uh, standards now, where if the end result is violence, or the point of it is violence, that they're not going to defend it, because obviously, this is all trolling, this is out of the Nazi playbook, you know, I don't want to draw too many comparisons, although they call themselves Nazis, so who cares, but, uh, you know, there's a famous propaganda poster I, I remember seeing a couple weeks ago from uh, the 1930s, and it's got a picture or a picture of Hitler with a, you know, a tape over his mouth, That's like, oh, why won't they let this man speak, or whatever, why won't they let this man just tell his ideas in public, geez, don't they anybody believe in free speech anymore you know so this is the same playbook that they were going with for years and you know it's like uh, provoke 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 violence yeah, End result everyone could have predicted it so yeah it's it's a tough thing because i mean there's free speech absolutists out there that think you know we should defend you
1: get into prior restraint but yeah, yeah
0: absolutely so it's it's a tough one i mean you know my instincts there as a journalist of course are to let the you know let people say what they want whenever. but you know there's real consequences for people and you know you have to take that into account this isn't a thought experiment for especially minorities and people that are being targeted so
1: yeah it's uh yeah, I don't know. I just, I think, I'm, like, I'm not even saying do it with free speech in any capacity, but I just want people to actually think more. Don't just chant the slogans about, you know, I'll defend your death, my death, the right for you to say whatever. Think about what that actually means. And, you know, really think about that. Really consider that. And, you know, consider that there are alternative uh, models in the world in otherwise democratic societies, and it hasn't led to widespread free speech restrictions. In other areas, it's it's not a slippery slope necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's anyways. Yeah, and of course, you as a journalist, I I, I think I know what your what your um. What's your what's your take on it is to some degree but i but i i think yeah i think that there maybe i don't maybe i don't fully understand mm-hmm. it but yeah it's like i don't know i just think people need to critically consider what does free speech mean what does free speech mean in 2018 you know what does uh, somebody shouting fire in a crowded theater actually look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's like, you know, unless somebody was actually literally in a theater and they literally shouted fire and somebody was literally trampled to death, short of that specific scenario, they would never acknowledge that that case had had come up. I don't think they know what a case like that would even look like. Mm-hmm. Like, the Westboro Baptist Church people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think their free speech rights should be curtailed. Mm-hmm. I
0: mean... Yeah, know, when they like, protest people's funerals and stuff, yeah.
1: And people, people are so satisfied. They're so self-satisfied when they see, like, counter-protesters, which... And it's nice that there are counter-protesters protesting or blocking the route so that, you know, these people can be buried in peace, but... Why should they have to? Mm-hmm. Why should they have? To? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, what is a platform? What is deplatformed? Mm-hmm. Like, if Joe Rogan doesn't invite us on his podcast right now, why is he de us, you yeah, know? seriously, Where, like, where's
0: my free speech, Joe Rogan, <laughs> on your number yeah. one podcast in the world? Please let me on. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, is
1: my, this is my right as an American to come on your platform and say something that you disagree with, and you have to deal with that. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Anyways, yeah, rant over, but yeah, yeah, things to think about. I don't know how we got on that exactly. I don't but yeah. know either,
0: but anyway, back to the text.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <clears throat> um, for many years, Kushner had humored Trump more than embraced him. Uh, both men use their money and power to dominate and subdue their children. Uh, talking about uh, Charlie Kushner and Donald's father, Fred. Both men have used their money to and uh, power to dominate and subdue their children. And they did this so completely that their children, despite their demands, became devoted to them. In both instances, this was extreme stuff. Belligerent, uncompromising, ruthless, amoral men creating long-suffering offspring who were driven to achieve their father's approval. Uh, Trump's older brother, Freddie, failing in this effort and by many reports gay, drank himself to death. He died in 1981 at age 43. Hmm. In business meetings observers would be nonplussed that Charlie and Jared Kushner invariably greeted each other with a kiss and that the adult Jared called his father daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a, another twisted take on Ivanka. Right, yeah, right. Jared's focus was often on older men. Rupert Murdoch spent a surprising amount of time with Jared, who sought advice from the older media mogul about the media business, which the young man was determined to break into. And of course, Kushner wooed Trump himself, who became a fan of the young man and was uncharacteristically tolerant about his daughter's conversion to orthodox Judaism, when that became a necessary step towards marriage. And then there was the f- harsh fact that the world of Manhattan, in particular... In particular, Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me look at this sentence. Is this a typo? Or yeah, it's, mis- a
0: typo. Mis- it's a typo. It's a typo. I think we're missing the word, Manhattan.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought was missing here, too. Mm-hmm. And then there was the fact that the world of Manhattan, in particular its living voice, the media, seemed to cruelly reject them. Hmm. The media long ago turned on Donald Trump as a wannabe and a lightweight and wrote him off for that ultimate sin. Anyway, the ultimate sin in media terms of trying to curry favor with the media too much. His fame, such as it was, was actually reverse fame. He was famous for being infamous. It was a joke fame. To understand the media snub and its many levels of irony, there is no better place to look than the New York Observer. The Manhattan Media and Society Weekly that Kushner bought in 2006 for 10 million dollars, by almost every estimate, 10 million dollars more than it was worth. Okay, so that's page 73. There's a typo in the third paragraph, first sentence, I believe. Michael
0: should be thanking us for doing this uh, editing that he apparently didn't do. <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll send him the invoice. <laughs> exactly. Let's see. Okay, so there's a couple pages. Let's see. I think we're getting we're we're nearing the end of this chapter, sort of. Uh, about less than ten pages, I think. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the New York Observer was, when it launched in 1987, a rich man's fancy, as much failed media often is. It was a bland weekly chronicle of the Upper East Side, New York's wealthiest neighborhood. Uh, Its conceit was to treat this neighborhood like a small town, but nobody took any notice. Um, Let's see. Down below, the story of Trump was the story of how he tried to make himself a story. He was shameless, campy, and instructive. If you were willing to risk humiliation, the world could be yours. Trump became the objective correlative for the rising appetite for fame and notoriety. Trump came to believe he understood everything about the media, who you need to know, what pretense you need to maintain, what information you could profitably trade, what lies you might tell, what lies the media expected you to tell. And the media came to believe it knew everything about Trump, his vanities, delusions, and lies, and the levels uncharted to which he would stoop for ever more media attention. Um, Graydon Carter, I think it was the... Uh, let's see, one of the people who was the original one of the original owners of the New York Observer. Graydon Carter soon used the New York Observer as his stepping stone to Vanity Fair, where he believed he might have access to a higher level of celebrity than Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, um... Hmm. Uh, let's see. Donald Trump became a symbol of the media's own self-loathing. <clears throat> the interest in and promotion of Donald Trump was a morality tale about the media. Its ultimate end was that Kaplan's pronouncement that Trump should not be covered anymore because every story about Donald Trump became a cliché. I guess Kaplan was the guy who succeeded Grayson at the magazine. Mm. Um, to everyone working in media in New York, Donald Trump represented the ultimate shame of working in media in New York. You might have to write about Donald Trump. <laughs> he has a way with words in 2006 after Kaplan had edited the paper for 15 years, Arthur Carter sold the Observer, which had never made a profit, to the then 25-year-old Kushner an unknown real estate heir interested in gaining stature and notoriety in the city Kaplan was now working for someone 25 years his junior, a man who ironically was just the kind of I don't, reviste, I don't know <laughs> who would otherwise who he, he otherwise would have covered. Vista, I'm guessing, and it sounds French, maybe or something. I don't. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, I'm guessing it's someone who has arrived, right?
0: I, I assume it's kind of like the equivalent of a new money or something.
1: Yeah, somebody who's they've arrived on the scene in Manhattan and they want to mm-hmm. get the media attention and they consume the media attention. They they they're consumers as well as they want to be subjects of it.
2: mhm
1: Let's see. For Kushner, owning the paper soon paid off, because with infinite ironies, not necessarily apparent to him, it allowed him into the social circle where he met Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, whom he married in 2009. Uh, but the paper did not, irksomely for Kushner, pay off financially, which put him into increasing tension with Kaplan. Kaplan, in turn, began telling witty and devastating tales about the pretensions and callousness of, of his new boss, which spread in constant retelling among his many media proteges and hence throughout the media itself. In 2009, Kaplan left the paper and Kushner, making a mistake that many rich men who have bought vanity media properties are prone to making, tried to find a profit by cutting costs. In short order, the media world came to regard Kushner as the man who not only took Peter Kaplan's paper from him, but also ruined it, brutally and incompetently. And worse, in 2013, Kaplan, at 59, died of cancer. So effectively in the telling, Kushner had killed him too. Hmm. Uh, if you stay around long enough in the media eye, your fate, like that of a banana republic despot, is often an unkind one. Uh, a law Hillary Clinton was not able to circumvent. Zing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting observation. Mm-hmm. Long before he ran for president, Trump and his sidekick son in law, Kushner, uh, had been marked not just for ignominy, but for slow torture by ridicule, contempt, and ever more amusing persiflage. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Um, Trump, in a smart move, picked up his media reputation and relocated it from a hypocritical New York to a more value-free Hollywood, becoming the star of his own reality show, The Apprentice, and embracing a theory that would serve him well during his presidential campaign. In flyover country, there is no greater asset than celebrity. The fabulous, incomprehensible irony that the Trump family had, despite the media's distaste, despite everything the media knows and understands and has said about them, risen to a level not only of ultimate consequence but even of immortality is beyond worst case nightmare and into cosmic joke territory. <laughs> I think that's that's pretty correct. Mm-hmm. This is this is cosmic joke territory. That the, the fact that Trump will be remembered on a list of currently fewer than fifty presidents of America at mm-hmm. this point—it's a shame. Yep. I think you know what did uh, what did uh, what did Gonzo journalist guy Hunter S. Thompson say about Nixon? He said his body should have been burned and the ashes stuffed in a cannon and launched into the Pacific Ocean or something like that he's like that's the fate that he deserved
0: yeah I think he actually wrote that as his eulogy like after he died
1: yeah Yeah, I think that's about what Trump deserves he doesn't deserve to have his name on the list of presidents
0: Uh, yeah exactly
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's see. uh, Page 77 Kushner's self justification or rationalization for stepping beyond his family role and taking a senior White House job to exercise restraint on his father in law and even a considerable stretch, uh, and even a considerable stretch for the inexperienced young man to help lend him some gravitas. Mm -hmm. So Kushner thinks he's going to add gravitas to Trump. Kushner called up the 93-year-old Kissinger for advice. This was both to flatter the old man and to be able to drop his name, but it was also actually for real advice. (laughs) And Trump had done nothing but cause problems for the Mexican president. To bring the Mexican president to the White House would be, despite Bannon's no-pivot policy from the campaign's harshness, a truly meaningful pivot for which Kushner would be able to claim credit. Although don't call it a pivot. It was what Kushner believed he should be doing, quietly following behind the president, with an added with added nuance and subtlety, clarifying the president's real intentions, if not recasting them entirely. Um, Kushner's message to his father-in-law that afternoon was that Pena, Pena and Nieto had signed on to a White House meeting and, and planning for the next visit would, could go forward. <laughs> The next day, Trump tweeted, "Blah blah 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 blah." It would be better to cancel the upcoming meeting. At which point, Pinion Nieto did just that, leaving Kushner's negotiations of state statecraft state yeah statecraft as so much scrap on the floor. So yeah, he he was trying to yeah be a negotiator, but it didn't work out because of Trump's Twitter habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, sorry, this cold. Um, asked how his children were adjusting to their new school several weeks after the move, Jared said that yes, they were indeed in school, but he could not ident- immediately identify where. Um, still, in another sense, Ivanka was landing on her feet. Breakfast at the Four Seasons was a natural place for her. She was among everyone who was anyone. Uh, In some sense, putting aside both her father's presence in the White House and his tirades against draining the swamp, which might otherwise include almost everyone here, (laughs) this was the type of room that Ivanka had worked hard to be in.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you ever see that Um, uh, documentary, Rich Kids... No. It's from the early 2000s. Uh, it's a really interesting documentary. It's made by the heir to the Johnson & Johnson fortune. Um, anyway, uh, Ivanka is featured in this for uh, pretty prominently, and uh, she has a pretty uh, heavy valley girl situation going on with her accent at the time, which she's uh, since worked very hard to shed, it seems. So.
8: Well, I think no matter... What I hear about my parents, about my family, no matter what I read, the fact is that I'm absolutely you know proud to be a Trump and I'm you know like proud of my family name and I'm proud of everything they've done and ever accomplished. My grandfather, somebody was telling me, had built more housing units than anyone else has ever done in New York. and he was just in the other boroughs. So to my dad, it was sort of he wanted to go in the direction of his father. He just always loved Manhattan, so he wanted to build here. You know, there's some sort of pride in the fact that people would even take an interest in me just because I'm a part of them. So, you know, for a while I was worried that, you know, for my whole life, I'd sort of be under my parents' shadow, but it's not a bad shadow to be under, I guess, so, it's okay. There were times as I grew older that I was, became more conscious of it. By the way, people treated me because I had money. It wasn't even my money, you know, I was a little kid. It was people, I'd noticed people treating me differently because my parents had money. So that even, you know, one more step removed. So I didn't, I never really understood that. <laughs> because I couldn't give them my parents' money. So I didn't really think there was a reason to treat me in a different way. But I think that's why in friends that I have now, the major quality I look for is sincerity. Because there, I think there is a lot of that. And I didn't realize it when I was younger because I was quite sheltered. But, but now I see it, so. Okay, this is a room that nobody's probably walked into for the past 10-plus years. It's a little time capsule, if you notice by the Madonna clock, and uh, my interesting attempt at color painting, the homage to Poison and Motley Crue, the 90210 posters, little, uh, I think they were trading cards that were stickers, and the Bon Jovi, sort of wall. This was my bed. It's a little small for me now. (laughs) Probably why I don't stay in here anymore, but, yeah.
7: And what floor are we on?
8: We are on the 68th floor. Not a bad view to wake up to. (laughs) I remember once my father and I were walking down Fifth Avenue and there was a homeless person sitting um, sitting right outside of Trump Tower. And I think I was probably maybe nine, nine, ten, something like this. It was around the same time as the divorce. And I remember my father pointing to him and saying, you know, that guy has $8 billion more than me because he was in such extreme debt at that point, you know? And, um, and me thinking, what are you 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 know, what are you talking about? He's, he was sitting outside of Trump Tower, and I'm looking and I'm going, you know, and I didn't understand, and sort of, and I think I just thought about it maybe like a year or two ago, and I, you know, I found it interesting. You know, it makes me all the more proud of my parents they got through that. I was going to school one day, and there was, I saw in one of the news boxes, a huge picture of um, both my parents, and there was a rip down the center of the picture and this was before I had officially been told that they were getting divorced and I came out of school that day and there was a swarm of photographers and paparazzi and all these things waiting to ask me questions and I mean it was I wanted to stay in school because I wanted to have a normal day and do all this but it makes it that much more Difficult to deal with your own personal emotions and to think about you know your family and your brothers and what they're going through Knowing that you're gonna walk out of the building and there's gonna be a r- bunch of people running after you asking you Difficult questions. I remember once I was on a job in Australia and um, And this guy just walks up to me. I was at you know I was at some you know like after celebrating party It was a fashion shows there um, And this man walks up to me who had never met and says how does what does it feel like to be wealthy and I, was like, and I was like excuse me and he goes what does it feel like to never have felt any pain and that really upset me not because i was upset for myself but because i was upset for him like i was bothered by the fact that he could be so ignorant and like that there are people out there who could like say such a blanketed thing and just be so downright stupid and just you know not use the brain that they had and that's what bothered me not the fact that he could make like you know, not the fact that anything he said really, you know, wounded me deep down, just the fact that there really are people out there who think like that. You know, the think that with money comes, comes happiness. I, rather than getting Barbie dolls, I used to get upset. I always wanted Legos or, like, erector sets or something like this. So I love, like, looking at the New York skyline and being able to figure out, like, what I'm going to add to that. And, you know, what patch of, like, sky, you know, maybe one of my buildings will be in, so... I've basically always wanted to go into real estate development. It's in the blood I guess.
0: <laughs> uh I think yeah, that's probably a pretty accurate description, so
1: Yeah, well I, I think they go on they go on to that in the next section here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as a 21-year-old, she appeared in a film made by her then-boyfriend, Jamie Johnson. Oh, yeah, Johnson I'm sorry. I, yeah, I
0: didn't read that far down. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, it's a curious, even somewhat unsettling film in which Johnson corrals his set of rich kid friends into openly sharing their dissatisfactions, general lack of ambition, and contempt for their families. Um, one of his friends would engage in a long litigation with him over the portrayal. Ivanka, speaking with something like a Valley Girl accent, Mm -hmm. which would transform in the years ahead into something like a Disney princess voice, seems no more ambitious or even employed than anyone else, but she is notably less angry with her parents. That's kind of surprising. Mm -hmm. Uh, She treated her father with some lightness, even irony, and in at least one television interview, she made fun of his comb-over. She often described the mechanics behind it to friends... An absolutely clean pate, uh, contained island after scalp reduction surgery, surrounded by a furry circle of hair around the sides and front, from which all ends are drawn up to meet in the center, and then swept back and secured by a stiffening spray. The color, she would point out to comical effect, was from a product called Just For Men. The longer it was left on, the darker it got. Impatience resulted in Trump's orange-blonde hair color. (laughs) Father and daughter got along peculiarly well. She accepted him. She was a helper, not just in his business dealings, but in his marital realignments. She facilitated entrances and exits. If you have a douchebag dad, and if everyone is open about it, then maybe it becomes fun and life a romantic comedy, sort of.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I, I misspoke before the name of the
1: movie was Born Rich. Anyway, go ahead. Born Rich, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reasonably, she ought to be much angrier. She grew up not just in the middle of a troubled family, but in one that was at all times immersed in bad press. (laughs) But she was able to bifurcate reality and live only in the uppermost part of it, where the Trump name, no matter how often tarnished, nevertheless had come to be an affectionately tolerated presence. What's more, she tended to find protection as well as status in her boyfriend's families, aggressively bonding with a series of wealthy suitors' families, including Jamie Johnson's before the Kushners over her own. Uh, The ivanka Jared relationship was shepherded by Wendy Murdoch, herself a curious social example Uh, to nobody so much as to her then-husband, Rupert. Okay. And I think that that was another case where I think they later said that Wendy Murdoch seemed to have some concerning contacts with the Rus- or the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. I think she was a former Chinese citizen, or a Chinese-American in any case. Maybe a Chinese-Australian? I don't know when she married, married Richard, actually. Hmm. Um, And yet, the larger truth was that Ivanka's relationship with her father was in no way a conventional family relationship. If it wasn't pure opportunism, opportunism, it was certainly transactional. It was business, building the brand, the presidential campaign, and now the White House. It was all business. But what did Ivanka and Jared really think of their father and father-in-law? "'There's great, great, great affection.' "'You see it, you really do,' replied Kellyanne Conway, somewhat avoiding the question. "'They're not fools,' said Rupert Murdoch when asked the question. They understand him, I think, truly, reflected Joe Scarborough, and they appreciate his energy, but there's detachment. (laughs) That is, Scarborough went on, they have tolerance, but few illusions.
0: (laughs) That's a very kind way of putting Um,
1: it. Yeah, let's see, in the days after the election, Ivanka and Jared had both met with a revolving door of lawyers and PR people. Most of them, the couple found, uh, leery of involvement not least because the couple seemed less interested in bending to advice and more interested in shopping for the advice they wanted. In fact, much of the advice they were getting had the same message. Surround yourself, acquaint yourself with figures of the greatest establishment credibility. In effect, you are amateurs. You need professionals. Let's see. Uh, finally, on the last page. In the assessment of the other fixers and PR women at the Four Seasons, this was a potential shadow White House, Trump's own family, not assaulting the power structures, but expressing an ob- obvious enthusiasm for it. I don't know. That's kind of a random note to end on, but that's where I ended. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we got through a whole chapter, so we're on Chapter 6 now next time, so. <laughs> yeah. Making progress. Yeah,
1: <laughs> this is, yeah, this is, uh, this is a lot. I, I I don't know. It's hard when you're reading something to know what to underline and what's not to underline. Sometimes you just, like, underline as you're going because it seems interesting and stuff and mm-hmm. seems pertinent. But I think, yeah, a lot of the stuff is pertinent. But I think in that chapter we really get a sense that, like it's It's interesting because Jared and Ivanka seem to have grown up with perhaps in a lot of ways perhaps democratic values, and I'm sure those are corporate Democrat you know that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but obviously that, you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and when mm-hmm. your dad's the president, you're not going to publicly oppose him mm-hmm. Are you Tiffany? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think Tiffany's laying low for the moment. <laughs>
1: I don't know, man. I, I, she may be, she may be the voice of the resistance in a couple of years. I don't know what she's doing, but we haven't heard, we've seen hide nor hair from her. So, yeah. Well, didn't he you know. joke about
0: wanting to have her aborted or something on Howard Stern years ago? So, I mean, she may not, she may have her own bones to pick with her father.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that, but it's entirely believable. Mm-hmm. She's on the pill. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, know
5: have, you
3: fell I'm for that one time before.
5: I did. That
9: happened. I mean, Darling, I'm be... so
1: happy. We're about to have a child. I said, uh, "Excuse me," <laughs> I didn't know about that. Right. But you know, at the time, it was like, "Excuse me, what happened?" And then I said, "Well, what are we going to do about this?" She said, "Oh, are you serious? This hmm. is the most beautiful day of our lives." I said, "Oh, great." <laughs> so I believe it. Yeah, yeah. That's the days we're living in. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I think we also get a sense of Jared and Ivanka as 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 Michael Wolf sees them as one of the possible three. Main influencers on the president, you know, mm-hmm. people vying for that the control of the White House and, you know, kind of the heart and soul of the presidency or whatever, wh- along with Steve Bannon and uh, and the, you know, the kind of the congressional Republicans. Yeah, represented by Reince Priebus, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and although I don't know how yeah, that's working
0: out these days with the old security clearance being pulled, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, everything is. Everything's falling apart. I, I don't know. I mean, I think they've held on this long because they're family. But I think Trump. I think I don't know. I mean, it, it's amazing because I think we, later we get to the part where they talk about. I think it was Jared Kushner specifically who wanted James Comey fired, right? And he mm-hmm. lobbied for that hard. And then a lot of the the stuff that fell down on Trump's head after that, as a result of that. I mean, that Trump seems to have forgotten or. You know, studiously ignored the fact that his son in law gave this terrible advice.
0: Well, doesn't even yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Bannon think this was like the worst idea in the history of ever that, you know, this caused the special counsel to be, you know, uh, called and, you know, I think they were operating on the old rules of, you know, you fire somebody, you never see them again, but it's like, you know, the investigation doesn't stop because you fired Jim Comey. He's not going to st- not talk to people after this. He didn't sign an NDA with you. He's going <laughs> to, he's going to write a book. He's going to talk to Congress. there's The, the investigation continues and intensifies because now we're talking about obstruction of justice in addition to you know collusion or whatever we were looking at before so
1: (laughs) yeah and now we got the porn star payment oh
0: yeah uh, yeah we do (laughs) which are not illegal by the way I've heard on very good authority from
1: a respected attorney (laughs) Hmm. I was going to say like I mean yeah paying a porn star not to talk about it that may not be illegal but well I mean uh, the the, the
0: actual legal argument behind that is that it would have happened they would have paid this person off whether or not he was running for office so it's not actually a, con- a campaign contribution. I don't know.
1: It's it's a yeah, convoluted argument, I, I, but uh, Stormy Daniels' lawyer—that was his lawyer, that, which is Avenatti guy, mm-hmm. Michael Avenatti—that mm-hmm. he was on a whole, as, as is his want to do. He's been on a lot of shows over the past couple days, and he said he has. I think he's hinted heavily that he has strong proof that it was. What can we say? That it was. Um, Lordy, there are okay, tapes. It was, <laughs> well, that too. But I think he has strongly suggested that it was explicit that they wanted this to be taken care of. in Because they, like, they did the payoff in October, right? October mm-hmm, 2016. Mm-hmm. And the election was November 8th. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and I think he's saying that he has explicit proof that... Uh, that this was a, they 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 came out and said that they wanted this done so that there wouldn't be any confusion during the election, right? Right.
6: I, I want to go to something that Michael uh, uh, Isakoff just said at the end of that previous segment, where he said, uh, "What if uh, there was communication?" Uh, with stormy daniels with stormy daniels council about settling getting this hundred and thirty thousand dollar settlement done when it was done because of the timing of the campaign are you aware of any communication with your client or your clients counsel in october of 2016 as they were closing this settlement agreement that in that involved the timing of the campaign
9: you know, our case has been pending almost two months, and I've made a lot of TV appearances, and I've gone on a lot of shows, and I've been interviewed a lot of times, and, and a lot of people have commented on that. I've never been asked this question, and it's perhaps one of the most important questions, and I'm going to answer it right now. There were extensive communications between Michael Cohen and Keith Davidson in October of 2016 relating to the timing of this payment and the need for the payment to be made prior to the election. Extensive communications relating to the need for the payment to be made, when it was made, and as it related to potential influence on the election,
6: period. And Keith Davidson was then Stormy Daniels' lawyer.
9: Correct, everyone involved in this transaction around the time knew the importance of the payment as it related to the election so any claim that the payment had nothing to do with the election is completely bogus there's no question it had everything to do with the election based on what you
6: know do you expect that in the fbi raid one of the things they're gonna find in emails or other communication uh, systems that they have seized do you think they will actually find some of the communication, at least, between Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels' lawyer at the time saying this timing is about the campaign.
9: I believe that they will find that. And I hope and pray that the reports of Michael Cohen recording conversations uh, with other parties, unbeknownst to them, are true, because if he recorded conversations with Keith Davidson in the month of October of 2016 relating to this negotiation, there will be no question, no question, as to whether this was done in an attempt to influence the 2016 presidential election, Lawrence.
0: Well, and then you've got uh, the reporting from Ronan Farrow uh, at The New Yorker talking about this relationship he had with the guy that owns the National Enquirer, where they had this catch-and-kill thing where they would buy these stories from people and sign them to exclusive deals for their stories and then just never publish the story. I mean, I think that's the Summer Zervos or whatever, that other Playboy Playmate or whatever that supposedly had an affair with Trump that, you know, that you know, yeah. was the thing with that, so, I you know, and that was around the same story, time, too. Right? What's that?
1: We're still waiting for her story, because I think Well, she's, she's suing for she defamation,
0: because she's saying, because Trump is saying that she's lying, that now they've, you know, basically null and voided the contract that was signed, because he's lying about it and talking about it, so, and I think actually yeah. the same and thing I might be happening to Bill O'Reilly, too, on the other end of it, but, <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I think she's been released from the uh, NDA or whatever. Oh, has she? I released didn't see from that the thing yeah. with the uh, national choir. So mm-hmm. she's free to talk about it, so I'm sure she's probably shopping that to various news uh, oh, outlets or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, I mean I think that that's almost like you know, talking about free speech, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I mean and that's that's not the government doing it, but when you've I mean the the levels of corruption. When historians look back at the Trump era, and they, they're going to say, "How did this ever happen?" I mean, because when you've got Donald Trump in bed with the National Enquirer, using them to catch and kill people who would otherwise be free speaking against him, mm-hmm. you know, at what point does that become? Government restriction, government, you know, Mm -hmm. through government media control, restricting freedom of speech of a person, because it's her story to tell. She thought she had an outlet that was going to let her tell it, but they they trapped and killed her story so she couldn't speak at the behest of Donald Trump. You know, at what point is that government censorship?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm sure it will all come to the light and we'll wish we hadn't seen. We're we're going to see him naked before this is ending, and and it's just going to be, my eyes are going to be burned out of my head when this happens, but <laughs> this is going to end with, uh, with a Trump uh, unfortunate text message probably to some some woman that yeah. saved it, and we're just all going to have to live with that reality.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm already emotion. I'm 100% emotionally prepared to see Trump naked. Uh, <laughs> At, at that point, I won't I won't be seeing a naked human being. I'll be seeing the end of, of a monster's legacy, <laughs> right? Perhaps the end of his hold on the evangelical Americans, right? Well, they've yeah, already given up a mulligan, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, when, when they see the dick pics, when they see the piss video, they're, they're going to be, you know, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think I think, you know, at some point a fever breaks and I think yeah. that that might be the point at which the fever breaks for them.
0: Well, let's hope. So I'm looking at a uh, headline right now, uh, Franklin Graham, Trump's affair with Stormy Daniels is nobody's business.
1: Wow. It's very magnanimous. Them. <laughs> How Christ do we do we, do we do we have any quotes of during the Clinton years for, for his dad? <laughs> What well, about the children, Shaw? What are we gonna tell them? Yeah, well, the, the children from that area are all grown up and perverted. <laughs> it's too late for them. They're we're a lost we're, cause. Too late for Trump. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, we, we, yeah, The Clinton affair was kind of a palate cleanser before the main course.
0: <laughs> it was the orange sherbet before we got to the. Uh, <laughs> what can we say?
1: <laughs> the ginger slices, the shaved ginger in between the bites of sushi, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: uh, that seems like a good enough place to leave it as any, but, um, well, uh, yeah, let's, let's keep going with the book whenever you can record again. So.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we're making progress and stuff and I'm glad you're back on schedule with the podcast and everything. And yeah. Let's so, keep this and keep this train rolling. Absolutely. To what, to what end? Who knows? <laughs> Make America read again. <laughs> or listen. Listen
0: to us reading. <laughs>
1: Yeah, listen to us. Don't listen to Donald Trump.
0: No, absolutely not. Fake news. But, um, yeah, cool. fake news, folks.
1: Well, a lot of people are telling me. <laughs> You're hearing things. <laughs> so. All right, well, Bob, glad we got another one in the can here. And, uh, good luck out there to our listeners. Have a great week. Yeah, yeah. Talk to you later, man. <laughs> Bye-bye. bye bye
0: If you enjoy this podcast there are several ways to support it join the rob burgess show mailing list go to tinyletter.com forward slash the rob burgess show and type in your email address then respond to the automatic message i have a patreon account which can be found at patreon.com forward slash rob burgess show patreon i hope you'll consider supporting in any amount Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgesshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to the Rob show at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.